have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. What? If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor. What difference at this point does it make? If you're looking to make sense out of what's going on in the world today, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, Annie, the Radio Chickie Bellis, and featuring Curtis C.S. Bennett and the most interesting guests that you'll find anywhere on Internet radio. And you can join the show and let your voice be heard by dialing 917-889-3675. So sit back, relax, and remember, Southern Sense is Common Sense. Headlines, breaking news, it's another hurricane. Oh no, wait a minute, it's an earthquake. Oh no, it's another riot going on. Oh, the world is falling apart. Every day, another shocking headline makes you wonder, what will tomorrow bring? That's why those who know what's coming are using today to prepare. I'm talking about getting your family some high-quality emergency food from My Patriot Supply. My Patriot Supply is the nation's leading preparedness company. They've been in business going on 14 years now, and they've served millions of American families. Now, they want to help you by giving you $50 off their popular four-week emergency food kit. You'll get four weeks of food per person, with meals designed to give you more than 2,000 calories a day. Oh, by the way, this food stays fresh for up to 25 years in proper storage, so it will be there when you need it. Other food goes bad fast, so don't wait. Go to preparewithsouthernsense.com and claim your four-week emergency food kit. You'll save 50 cents per, 50 cents, no, not 50 cents, $50 per kit if you act now. Now, you can go to preparewithsouthernsense.com, or if you're listening to the show on my website, just go to the top left-hand corner, click on prepare. Go to Southern Sense, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. Don't Wait. Do it today.
All right. Welcome to another adventure here on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, onto iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Global Enlightenment Radio. Uh, oh, good Lord. I heart. I have half a dozen places. I have no idea where we are anymore. I'm your hostess with the mostest that can screw up the bestest. <laughs> Annie, the radio chick, along with my patient and oh-so-calm and debonair co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett. Good afternoon, right. Curtis. <laughs> hey, how you doing? I got people up in Philly wanting to know how we fared with this storm. And actually, all we got out of it was some overcast skies. So I'm going to have to call them sometime over the weekend and let them know that we, they probably got more of it than we did up north. Oh, yeah. Ida. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. We got, I mean, we had thunderstorms. We had some minor flooding, nothing major, not like New York City or New Jersey uh, or down in the bayou. Um, looking at some of the stuff where the other tropical storm came straight through the Gulf and then headed back up north, I just, oh, my goodness, it's just unbelievable. So uh, our thoughts or prayers are going out to those that are in <laughs> the flood zones. <laughs> Who would think that you'd have, you know, the subways flooding in New York? Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, they do every time a water main breaks. <laughs> They're accustomed oh, yeah. to this crap. <laughs> oh, but, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, but as soon as something like this happens, oh, no, it's global warming. The sky is falling. Global warming. we got to pass the Green New Deal. Hey, folks, <laughs> this weather like this has been going on for eons. <laughs> global warming has nothing to do with it. What happened I is that man has actually overbuilt in areas where the forest would normally absorb most of this moisture. You wouldn't have a lot of this flooding. We have torn down the forest. We have changed the topography of this earth. So, of course, if you're going to build yourself in an area where you're prone to storms, you're going to have problems. That's but, true. Hey, did the storm wash away their governor yet, Cuomo? <laughs> Or is he still hanging in there? Mm-mm. Cuomo's gone. Cuomo is gone. Okay. They got the uh, the um, lieutenant governor now, governor, and I don't know what. Yeah, uh, McHugh or Big Day. I don't know what the heck her name is. Who cares? She's just as bad. Just as bad. Oh well. Anyway. We got ourselves a jamming good show up today, so I want to thank everyone that's here listening on Blog Talk. Up on, we're up on Facebook and YouTube right now. If you want to join us there, um, we're going to have Andy Berger. She's been on last time. She's got Beulah's place with the teeth and backwards. Beulah's place. Um, it is where teens can go. Homeless teens, teens from broken homes, teens that are run away. Uh, they can go to Beulah's place. This is in Oregon. And she has also Voices Against Human Trafficking. Uh, but she also has on her website that if you're anywhere, if you're anywhere in the United States and you're a teenager and you're homeless or you're running away or you're hurt, you're confused, you can call and she'll give you the hotlines and tell you how, who to reach out to in their area to give you a hand. She's a fantastic individual. Uh, Deborah Atlas, uh, she has a new book out. And it's titled, You Aren't Depression's Victim. And uh, she has helped a lot of people with her books, um, abuse, domestic abuse and things like that. Uh, So she's going to be gone. And um, we also have Lucretia Hughes. We haven't had her on in a while, uh, but she has been, this this woman's absolutely (laughs) fantastic. 
her real news with Lucretia Hughes uh, has and her fallback protection studio has expanded so much that on September 11th, she's going to have a Faith Over Fear rally here in Georgia. And it, the lineup looks absolutely outstanding. Uh, so I've got all that information on the show page that you can click on the link for the Faith Over Fear rally if you're anywhere near Georgia and want to go. And then we should have it towards the end, Mark Tapscott. Now, i got to admit, he got a little confused, and he confused me because he sent me a message like, am I on? And I said, uh, well, I guess you are. <laughs> so I gave him the call-in number. It was supposed to be this week, not last week. So uh, his agent called and said, well, is he on this week? And I said, yeah. He was on last week, but he wants to be on every week. Well, we're happy to have him. <laughs> oh, yeah. I like those. I like those type of confused guests. They fill in empty slots. <laughs> but uh, this is Labor Day weekend, and because it's Labor Day weekend, we do not have a Heritage uh, guest on. Uh, I do have my cat trying to get on the microphone. <laughs> anyway, so we got ourselves. Uh, really, it's going to be an absolutely outstanding show today. Anyway, want to thank everyone that's listening in now over on Facebook, YouTube, and here it's showing up in our chat room here on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, anyone that listens knows we start off each. Curtis, do you have something going on in the background, like a TV on or something? Because I'm hearing some. Yeah, let me, let me yeah. see if I need to turn that down. Okay. Anyway, um, those that listen to our show know that we start off each and every show with a dedication to a fallen hero. And today's dedication is going to go out to Trooper Chad Michael Walker of the Texas Department of Public, Public Safety, Texas Highway Patrol. His end of watch was Sunday, March 28th of 2021, this year. And this is by Morgan Windsor. And it reads, a Texas state trooper and married father of children has died five days after being shot in an ambush last week. Texas Highway Patrol Trooper Chad Walker was ambushed on March 27th, Friday evening, while responding to what he apparently thought was a disabled vehicle parked on the side of a rural road just outside of Mexa, a small town about 40 miles northeast of Waco, Texas. Walker, who was alone, pulled up behind the vehicle and was shot in the head and abdomen before he could get out of his patrol car, according to a statement from Todd Snyder, Regional Director of the Texas Department of Public Safety. Quote, our DPS family is absolutely heartbroken at the loss of one of our brothers in uniform who was killed in the line of duty, unquote. DPS Director Stephen McCraw said in a statement announcing Walker's death, Texas Highway Patrol Trooper Chad Walker was committed to protecting the people of Texas. His sacrifice will never be forgotten, and we ask that you keep his family, friends, and colleagues in your prayers during during the difficult days ahead. Law enforcement officials said on Tuesday that Walker no longer displayed signs of viable brain activity. An extensive life-saving effort conducted by the Baylor, Scott, and White medical professionals, has been determined that Trooper Chad Walker no longer displayed signs of viable brain activity, and he remains on life support until he can share the gift of his life as an organ donor. 
the Texas Department of Public Safety said in a statement, this final sacrifice embodies Trooper Walker's actions throughout his life and service as a Texas Highway Patrol trooper. The Walker family is grateful for the continued support and prayers as they remain at Chad's side. Snyder alleged the suspect gunman identified as 36-year-old DeArthur Pinson of Palestine, Texas, saw the patrol car and immediately emerged from the driver's seat of the disabled vehicle armed with a handgun and fired multiple rounds at Trooper Walker through the patrol unit's windshield. Pinson then allegedly back, walked back to his vehicle, retrieved a backpack, and fled the scene on foot. Walker, who had been a member of the Texas Department of Public Safety since 2015, was transported to a Waco hospital in critical condition. Counselors and a Texas Rangers chaplain have been at Walker's wife and their 15-year-old son, 7-year-old twin daughters, and two-month-old baby girl, according to Snyder. Since the shooting, more than $199,000 have been donated to Walker's family via online crowdfunding campaign to assist with the family's medical expenses. On Saturday night, Pinson was found dead from an apparent self-inflicted gunshot wound in a house in Nexa, where he had barricaded himself during a standoff with authorities, according to the statement from the Texas Department of Public Safety. The Texas Rangers are leading the investigation into the incident. According to criminal records, Pinson had a history of run-ins with the law. In November of 2007, he was sentenced to a maximum of 10 years in prison for an armed robbery in Texans, Houston County. The Texas Department of Transportation trooper Chad Walker's hometown of Grosbeck is covered in blue ribbons as a tribute to his life and legacy. The Grosbeck community is spreading a symbol of both love and tragedy throughout their hometown after receiving the latest update concerning Walker. We've been cutting ribbons all day, going up and down the street, letting them take them where they want to take them, just to show our respect and love for the Walker family, said Lisa Stewart. Some tying ribbons throughout the town have known Walker for a lifetime, like Stewart. I remember Chad when he was itty-bitty, and I rem- remember Toby when she was itty-bitty. They're beautiful, sweet, loving people, she told Fox 44. Others, like Mary Milano, are just now learning about the man behind the badge, but still feel the sting that comes with his loss. was a little bit in shock, because you don't really hear much about that here in our small town. It just doesn't happen, said Milano. Walker's life was cut short on the same roads he built relationships on along Highway 84. On Friday, that same day, he was shot repeatedly. He pulled over Amber Took for speeding. No one could predict this would be one of his last times to make a stop, which makes his last words to Amber and her family chilling. I'll not go in to be on y'all's road. I'll try and be off y'all's road when y'all come back home, and sure enough, We got that phone call, Took, remember? 
She and the folks putting ribbons out say they hope everyone who sees them will stop and remember Walker and embrace, embrace their family in their time of grief. I hope his kids grow up knowing that his dad was a good man and that his two-month-old, when asking about him, gets told that he was a good man and a good father and that he worked hard. Emergency vehicles across Texas lit up Thursday afternoon in honor of a fallen state trooper who died days after being shot in the line of duty in central Texas. Public safety state trooper Chad Walker shot multiple times as he answered a motorist assist call outside of Mexi. To honor Trooper Walker and all officers across the Lone Star State, I am asking law enforcement to turn on their red and blue flashing lights for one minute at one o'clock, and I urge my fellow Texans to stand with our police and support them as they work tirelessly to keep our community safe, called out Governor Greg Abbott in a statement. The Houston Police Department posted a video on Twitter showing their support. Walker remained in critical condition for days and was kept on life support due to his status as an organ donor. Our DPS family is absolutely heartbroken at the loss of one of our brothers in uniform who was killed in the line of duty. DPS Director Stephen McCraw said, Texas Highway Patrol Trooper Chad Walker was committed to protecting the people of Texas. His sacrifice will never be forgotten. And we ask that you keep his family, friends, and colleagues in your prayers. Walker from Goosebeck joined the department in 2015. The loss of Walker was the second for Texas DPS in a week. On the Monday before, Corporal Mike Schultz died Monday after a battle with pancreatic cancer. Schultz served the state for more than 27 years and retired days before his passing. He posted a message in hope for his friends and colleagues in February. I feel I'm the luckiest person alive to have friends and family such as you, Schultz wrote. I definitely couldn't do it without all of you, every single one. It is support from communities and fellow colleagues that make serving as a first responder so precious and so dear. Today's show is going out to Trooper Chad Michael Walker. It is also going out to all the brave men and women that serve as first responders, be they law enforcement, firefighters, or emergency services. It also goes out to all the brave men and women that serve in our military from the birth of this nation through today and into our future. May our future be marvelous and glorious, and may we fight for it every single day along their side. We dedicate to them this song by Todd Allen Herendon. My name is America. May God bless each and every one. Freedom has never been free 
Show.com. All right, we're back. You're here listening to Southern Sense here on Blog Talk as they are as HR media. <laughs> uh, why do we even bother, Curtis? Why do I even bother? <laughs> Obviously, they know where we are if they're listening to us. Anyway, That's just true. go to the name of the show, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. And also, check out Patriot uh, Foods. Um, they've got some really great new stuff up there. And um, they sent me 
Let me grab my little cheat sheet here. They sent, she sent me an email to let me know that they've got a sale going on right now that if you buy their four-week uh, uh, and three-month specials, they're giving you a discount. Uh, it saves $50. That's a lot. $50 on the four-week, which is at only $247 for four weeks' worth of food. Wow. Oh, and this great. is good for 25 years. Um, Wow. How much do you spend in your, your monthly grocery bill anyway? You're probably spending a lot more than that. So you already have already stopped. Um, now, on the three-month supply, they're taking $200 off. Oh, my goodness. That's a lot. So for now, the three-month supply is only six ninety seven. Holy cow. Three months of groceries. Well, I'm just you, think about that. Food prices are just as bad as gas prices now. It's yeah, but this is less. This is. Oh yeah. I, I just went to the grocery that's, that's store just deal. to get for this week. For this week alone, I spent over one hundred and sixty dollars for just this week, and then you multiply that by four weeks. That's that's a heck of a lot than this two hundred forty-seven dollars for four weeks, and you don't have to do half the work. <laughs> All you do is boil that's some water, cool. add it to it, and you got yourself a meal. And trust me, I've eaten the stuff, and it is good. You know, Yanni and I loved it. And that's why we got it, because we weren't going to buy anything until we had a, a sample. And uh, I'm sure if you contact them, they'll give you a sample. But uh, that's what they did for us. They gave us a free week sample, sample. to test. Wow. And we were, we were, it was good. I didn't expect it to be that good. And plus, it's lower in sodium, because I did try Wise, and Wise had a lot more sodium in it. And with my high blood pressure and everything, that's the last thing we wanted. So we wanted something that was made in America, was healthy and low in sodium, and that's yeah, what a, my Patriot food is. I'm gonna have to check it out because I was in the store the other day, and one box of cereal was almost five bucks. I'm saying like, okay, if I buy two boxes, that's almost ten bucks just for two items. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. It's, it's gotten crazy, and prices are going to go higher because what you're not hearing is that the government is having farmers destroy their crops. Catch this. Now, really? listen to be careful. The, the farmers are being told, if you want the subsidies, you've got to destroy your crops. This, this administration is going to cause a food shortage. All you have to do is Google what I'm talking about, and you'll see story after story of people complaining they're told to plow under corn, wheat, a whole bunch of staple crops that we should have an abundance of. Prices should be going down because they've got such good production. And instead, they're telling them, nope, you're producing too much, so you've got to plow it under. Otherwise, you're not going to get a government subsidy. That's crazy. So catch me. Oh. So um, I'm stocking up. You know, I've got spare toilet I mean, paper, paper towels, cleaners, sanitary wipes, and I'm stock, stocking up on food. Oh, if you also go to my Patriot, you know what they have also on there? Um, air filtration, water filtration, um, uh, heritage seeds, so you can plant your own garden. They've got a lot of good stuff in there and different uh-huh. supplies. So just go go on to our website, Southern Sense, put a dash in the middle. Up on the top left-hand side, you'll see my smiling face with the little banner on it. Click on the banner. They'll take you straight in. So check it out, folks. And I'm telling you, I just bought about $1,000 worth of stuff last night. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, I also use coupons, Duck, but 
that's not going to work if there's no food in the grocery stores. So I do believe this might be our first guest. Let me bring in, and I'm hoping, and come on, computer. There we go. Let's process. I do believe this is Andy Berger, is it not? Yes, it is. All right. How are you doing tonight? And welcome back. Um, thank you so much. I'm doing well and so pleased to be back on your show. Hope you all are safe and healthy right now. Oh, we, we've been hanging in there. You know, uh, was it a tropical, uh, was Hurricane Ida or a tropical storm Ida, whatever. It came through us and it was like, yeah, right. That's what you call that. But the people up north where it's more urban, where it's not suburban like us, where we are prepared, we know what to do, and they put cement where there used to be grass and trees. Oh boy, this is this is talk about man <laughs> not paying attention to the environment and then screaming it's global warming. No, it's not. Get paved over there. <laughs> get paved over Jesus' parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you expect if there's nowhere for the water to run? Where do you think it's going to go? into your basement apartment, into the subways, it's going to flood the city out, which is what it's doing. And nature's doing what nature does. Man's doing what nature doesn't want it to do. But that's my lecture for today. Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) oh, man, Uh, you have Beulah's Place, and we've talked about that in the past. Now, um, what I'm finding interesting is what this pandemic has been doing to kids. Are you finding more kids calling a hotline now because of this COVID panic and lockdowns? Well, you would think that would happen. However, because of the unchecked lockdowns, it is sometimes harder for kids to reach out to us, to any agency or organization, or for help because they're being watched or there are too many people in the room or in the apartment or the house. So uh, we're not getting the reporting and things that we do. But but what I can say, even in Central Oregon and, and, and Pacific Northwest or East Coast, wherever we are, the... Uh, Incidents of human trafficking, domestic violence are way up. And, of course, we have the influx of, of more uh, kids coming across the border. And so we have a different kind of pandemic. I call it the human pandemic, Annie, because really that's what's happening. And I think just uh, somebody sent me a notice just today that the federal government uh, hasn't even checked or vetted or or called to see if over 50% of the kids that have been brought in since the beginning of the year, I think it's upwards of 32,000, not even 15,000 have been called or have been checked on. So what does that say? You know, with or without the lockdowns, we still have a problem in this country. You know, it's amazing what goes on behind closed doors uh, that we don't know about, and it's only after the fact. And you're a perfect example of that. You've endured that all your life. Um, So without these kids being out in public, uh, going to school where teachers may look for certain signs that will be the tell signals that something is wrong here, that maybe we need someone, you know, uh, with good expertise, whether it's social services or law enforcement, to check on this family just to make sure everything is kosher. And we don't have that. Kids aren't out there, exactly. you know, confiding to their best friend and the best friend running home telling mom and dad, hey, Georgie told me what daddy's doing to him. And then, you know, right. getting some help to the kid. And then these kids are not interacting. And what is I find even more tragic 
is, is that they're not learning vital social skills. And without exactly. that, how are the kids going to know that something's going on in their life that is really wrong? Or on the opposite side, something that's really good. So they're, they're not learning to communicate. So once they go back out into society, how do they read? It's almost as if you're forcing a kid to become autistic in a way. Well, and with the mask, that's exactly it. How do they how do they describe someone who's hurting them or is threatening them? How did how they tell the law enforcement if they can even get there what this person looks like? You know, they have a mask. They probably have glasses or a hat or a coat or whatever. You know, and so the the social communication, as you call it, that's exactly right, Annie, because uh, we know that from very early stages of development. Uh, kids, toddlers, young young kids, uh, middle-aged kids, doesn't matter uh, wherever they are at in school, they rely on the visual, looking at the face, looking at expressions, looking at uh, the words even. I mean, think about the deaf community, how hard it is if they can't read lips. You know, there are other ways, but again, we've made it so challenging to communicate. So that's a, that's a major factor. The other thing besides, uh, as I mentioned, uh, is if they're locked down and there's no way to communicate in privacy or in safety, then they're not going to get that communication out there. And again, with the on-off, in-school, out-of-school, online school, they're not creating relationship. And that's the key to trust, in my opinion. If you don't have the trust, if you can't say, well, this teacher's always been good to me, or I like this teacher, or, or this coach always protects me from the bullies, or whatever it is, if they don't have those experiences, then they don't have that in their bank what I call the deposits that are good and that teach them the things they need to know. They have a lot of withdrawals, you know, but they don't have the same kind of social interaction that is desperately needed. And as you mentioned, yes, I was trafficked by family members from six months to 17 years old. And so the family has the bloodline as their protection when they talk to authorities or if DHS is even called you know, if that opportunity even occurs. So it's even harder where the predators are not only known to the child, but they're actually living with them. And that's, that is the huge tragedy of all this. And then if you compound it where a kid is now isolated and the parent goes to watch TV or whatever they want to do, go out drink, the child is left home alone with their smart device. So what other method of communication do they have is to go onto that smart device where even far worse predators are laying in wait for them. Absolutely. They know where to look and know exactly what to say to entice this child. Right, because most kids, what do they want? They want to be popular. They want to be, they want attention, correct? You know, they want all these things. Uh, and a predator knows that and a predator will give it to them. And they will lie about their age and, and who they are and what they're doing, or they'll find out information which seems innocent to uh, a child, and we're talking 18 years or under, to say, oh, well, my favorite subject is this, or my school has that, or, you know, it's over by the park, and the predator knows exactly how to elicit the information to then <coughs> create the false trust with that child, you know, by saying, oh, well, I go to that school. <laughs> Andy. Andy, yes. go ahead, Curtis. This is this co-host, but anyway, there there's a dark elephant that in the room that a lot of people don't talk about. I used to work child protective services, and I, I worked um, um, for economic services, um, qualifying people for food stamps, Medicaid, and um, wages. You know, the welfare check. 
And one of the requirements was for a woman, single woman, to say who the father, you know, tell us who the father of their children were. And in a lot of cases I found out they went, they didn't want to tell us because of the fact that their child was fathered by an uncle or a cousin or even their own father. Yeah. And a lot of yeah. that goes on. You're right. A lot of this stuff is in-house. I just want to, you know, mention that. Yes, Curtis, absolutely. You're you're right on it. And, and for generations, a lot of people think, you know, uh, human trafficking just popped up in the last 20, 30 wow. years, but it's been around for generations. I've, I have spoken with and spoken to victims where it's generational. And, and uh, one of the ladies that I spoke with at an event, she said basically she was told from a very young age, you just do what they say because we survived it, so you will too. You know, that was the thought, yeah. and that was four and generations. Sure. Yes, exactly. And then when there's, you know, money attached, of course, in my perspective, uh, trafficking occurs for two reasons. Greed, which is the popular one you see it in the movies, you hear about it in national headlines, and then perversion. Because I was born in the 60s, and they didn't, they didn't talk about it. They barely talked about child abuse. So, you know, and I think if my birth parents and family members had known they could have made money off of me, <laughs> they probably would have. But, and, and it's no joke, but it's just how the times have changed is what I'm saying. So you're absolutely right. Uh, no one's going to put down the name of someone that caused a problem in the family. Uh, plus the stigmatism. Oh, that family? Oh, you're from yeah. there? Um, and that's a whole other thing. The public's victimizing of the victim once more again, which is what the kids also fear. They feel as if they did something wrong. They were being punished for doing something wrong. They promised to be good and promised to do whatever they, they were told to do. Absolutely. And, you know, we have uh, Voices Against Trafficking uh, is one of my organizations besides Beulah's Place. It's kind of the expansion out of that out of that program. And uh, we have our first book coming out this fall. And there are uh, there's a myriad of stories and accounts and perspectives from media, from, you know, survivors from all kinds of, of places. But one of them that stands out and I'm just going to give you the bottom line, but we we have a story where a very prominent uh, woman now, you know, actually had to go to jail to escape her predator as a single mom. So, you know, there are extremes that victims have to go to that we do not recognize or, or assist in or help. So we have got to make it better for them. But, you know, um, Annie and Curtis, one of the things I wanted to bring up in case listeners uh, don't know is that in this country alone, in the U.S., every 40 seconds, a child 18 years or under is abducted. So they're being taken. They're not running away. They're not, you know, I don't like dad's rules. You know, they are actually being taken. Now, they're probably lured into that abduction, either by promise of a job or, you know, modeling or, you know, a work. What teenager doesn't want a job to get their own money, right? You know, mow lawns or babysit. But who's on the other end of that? invitation or, you know, inviting them to a teen party in the neighborhood kind of thing. So, but every 40 seconds, by the time we're done with this interview, a lot of kids are going to be gone. And folks need to realize that it's every single neighborhood. It's not economic. It's not social status. It's every neighborhood and every state of this country. We are losing our children. And so one of the things I suggest to either the parent or grandparent or guardian is, you know, establish, first of all, 
that it is safe for that child or those children to tell you anything without you going, you know, off the rails. Even if it is disturbing or you get upset, there has to be a safe place or a safe way that these kids can communicate to us, especially now uh, with all the craziness. And so if we establish that they can talk to you about difficult things and they won't be chastised or embarrassed or yelled at, um, then they're more open to listening to uh, other things. We don't want them to learn from the Internet or from their peers at this stage of the game because we now how, uh, how, how treacherous the Internet and chat rooms and social media is for these young people. Um, and obviously, if you see something, say something. Well, you know, what people assume that these children are more adult than they actually are, they're assuming to act that they would act like an adult. But no, these kids, as they're developing, especially mentally, psychologically, socially, uh, they look to those that are older, those that seem to be more powerful, for guidance. So if they can't find it in an adult, they turn around to their peers. And this is where a lot of this can very easily go wrong because if you're exactly. relying, if you're six and you're relying on seven-year-old or the, the other one that's six years old or more popular than you are, you're going to follow them. It's like herd mentality almost. They need guidance. They need the seeking, seeking to learn. And unfortunately, we look at something like what happened with the sex trafficking with Jeffrey Epstein with the underage girls. Yep. It yes. was one girl told another, hey, listen, we can take you to this great party. You'll meet lots of people. You'll make lots of friends. You'll be very popular. Everyone's doing it. And they show up at the party, and the next thing they know, they're a victim of sex trafficking. But no, that's okay. Absolutely. Everyone's doing it. It's okay. No, it's not. It is not. And we you know what else? our kids to look out. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, another thing is I think the state has to has – to, um, become more proactive in educating, especially young girls who come up through the foster care system about the world because, see, they live a sheltered life to begin with. You know, they live in places that are not publicly known. They're around people like themselves, you know, who are placed in um, foster care because their parents aren't able to, you know, take care of them and whatnot. And then they get out on their own once they turn 18 and they're lost. You know, they really don't have any street smarts or anything like that. So I think the government, you know, when these kids come up as wards of the state, they should have some kind of training for them, you know, to get them prepared for it. Not just the good things out there, but some of the bad people. Well, I'm not too sure about asking them for the government to step in, because look what they're doing right now with transgenderism and all the other sex education where they teach them how to masturbate and they're teaching a five and six year old. I'm sorry. I don't know if I want the state involved in teaching the child what is right or wrong. Um, Look at the way morally they're corrupt right now. I don't know what Mm -hmm. the answer would be, but I am very leery of this government, especially in the influences of certain areas of our society on sex education. Uh, the well, transgender story hour. I'm sorry. I, I, I I'm wouldn't. just talking about just life experiences because the fact is, it's the state that have control over these kids' lives. They war to the state. Well, if you're talking and about and I here, mm-hmm. yeah, go ahead, go care. ahead, Andy. 
Oh, I was going to say, I have just worked with um, an 18-year-old girl that we uh, got introduced to because as a ward of the state, you know, the mother was a drug addict that OD'd before the girl was six months old. So she's been a ward all of this time. And somehow something got dropped and she was going to be homeless. They're supposed to provide housing up to a certain age, even after the age of 18. I think it's 25. I'm not sure. So anyway, we stepped in to you know, get hotel rooms, to do whatever we could, and she now is stable house, housing. We uh, got a vehicle donated so she could keep going to work, and she's trying so hard you know, to stay on her feet. But I think to Curtis's point, I'm not sure about the government either, but what I do advocate for is life skills training and work training, which is what our agency provides, or hey, here's an idea. Let the private agencies out there that are doing the work that can prove their success rate. You know, we have a 92% success rate when our kids graduate our program and go back into community and live independently. Plus, uh, you know, they're going to college and we're helping with scholarships. So it can be done. But here's the hitch. It's a lot of work and it takes a lot of resources from the community, you know, to do that. But um, these kids are not prepared. I do agree with Curtis on that. They're not prepared for, okay, now I'm kicked out of the system. What do I do? Okay, yeah, so we, we need out. to fill that gap. And I yeah, wasn't advocating the state do that. I'm just saying they prepare them, and they could use, like you said, private agencies to come in that has a, mm-hmm. uh, have a record, established record in preparing, you know, these kids. Right. Well, or a safe adult if there's because, no safe parent. Mm-hmm. Like right. Yeah. Uh, Something, something like like Andy is running, like a, a nonprofit agency, or even something that's right. faith based. So if you bring right. it into yes. faith based, you're also bringing in moral values at the same time. So I would say uh, maybe government may sponsor your agency as long as you prove a good success rate. But I don't think yeah. I want the government to set to turn around and do this because I'm like I'm saying uh, with. They started off with Common Core, and it's gone downhill. Actually, they started back in the 60s when they first introduced health education, they called it. Well, we're going to tell you about the, the human body, you know, the functions of different parts, of, you know, the blood, the heart, the brain is how they said it. Teach you about certain diseases like uh, influenza, blah, blah, blah. That's how they sold it. And as soon as they got the foot in the door, next came the sex education and now we're looking at it going completely downhill. And when you teach a, a five and six year old about certain sex acts, I'm sorry, that's over the border. Government, nope, get out now, out, and don't come back. Well, look at the, the term, film and media. That's why you I mean, the term they, prepare, not yeah, teach. Prepare yeah. them. Go ahead. Well, and the right. social media, the or rather, not social media. Excuse me. Uh, the film. Uh, industry, look at you know the Netflix, the cuties so much. We we raged a, a pretty good battle against, but you know you can't always win, oh, yeah. but you have to try. And so we've we desensitized the value and the morals of children. I mean, children should be thinking about playtime and and you know learning things, you know science experiments and all this stuff. And that's not old fashioned. That's just truth because we know I can't I quite remember the the source of the study, but it just came out about a month or two ago. And in the last year since COVID say March to March, so to speak, um, elementary IQ levels have dropped 20 points in, in a year. Right. And so we're not yes. educating them, which means they're going to find the easiest way to take care of themselves, whether it's emotional, physical, sexual, or financial, which is what a lot of these young people do when they've been abandoned or they have run like our kids, the ones we rescued. They have run to the streets because it's safer than what they're running from. 
you know. And so part of it is that they don't have any other place to go. And communities a lot of times are very much against a shelter. Oh, my gosh, have all this, you know. I have had my kids called criminals when people didn't even know that, and they have not been criminals. <laughs> in fact, they, they are dean's list students in college, and they're, they're members of society and doing great things. They rent, they buy, they're consumers. They're responsible most of the time, you know, out of the maybe 300 that we have helped and 50 that we have housed, you know, short-term and put through college or whatever. Uh, you know, maybe we had five that we released you know, for behavior or for other issues, you know. So we're just saying that they are not the problem, but they need to be protected. Even if the family, let's say your family unit, both of you have families and you have a safe word, you're not going to announce that, but in your family a certain word means I need help or I'm in trouble. They, a kid can text it or you can say, you know, uh, whatever that phrase is uh, if you want to check on them. And a lot of times we would simply say, is this person safe for you that you're going to, you know, the mall with or the party with or whatever. We would always ask, is this a safe person for you? And the kids knew that we wanted to know that they were going to be okay, but that we were also there for them if something went sideways, okay? Because, again, they may be on the streets. They may be a little bit more street smart than the average bear, but they're still kids. So they need that guidance, and they need that opportunity to be able to say, I'm in trouble, or I'm not sure about this, or I don't feel comfortable with, you know, my coach or, you know, my, my, my friend's dad or mom or whoever it is. I don't feel comfortable in that house. And it doesn't even have to be a specific reason why. You just have to know that your child uh, may be in trouble. And so have, you know, have an exit strategy in your home or your apartment if you're leaving your child unsupervised or without a safe adult down the hall or somewhere that you trust. We need to do more work as the adults for our children. Well, what we need is a really good public education of the adult population. And not only that, we've got to teach the kids who to trust. It's okay to walk up to that police officer or that sheriff. It's okay to go over to the local church or uh, temple. Uh, It's okay to seek help but know where to go. It's okay to go up to your school teacher or a guidance counselor or a principal. It's okay to say something, to say that you need help and how to ask for it too. Um, we, we have it in our society that it's now taboo. Cops are off limits. They're bad. It's time to defund the police. Oh, instead of putting the police out there, we'll put social workers out there. How's that going to go when you have a bank robbery going down and shots are being fired? I don't think too well. But, you know, we have to change the public perspective so that if they do see a homeless kid, you know, me on the, in the public, if I see a homeless kid sitting, sitting down there on the curb in the street, I'm going to ask questions. You know, well, and, but that's another and problem. have numbers if, handy. Yeah, have numbers handy to call and say, you know, here's a shelter. Or I, I tell people, put the national hotline in your phone at the very least. Give, put, 
put the National Human Trafficking Hotline, the National Child Abuse Hotline, the Suicide Prevention uh, Lifelines, put those in your phone. And if your kids are old enough and they have a phone, uh, put them in their phones too. So at the very least, if they can make a call or they need to help a friend, there are anonymous neutral hotlines that will do that. And if you're someone who is getting angry with all the craziness or you're feeling like you're losing control over your kids or whatever, those same hotlines are also helplines for you that are anonymous and they will get help in your area, you know, for you. And so we try to to create the awareness uh, Give the education about what people can do, uh, what what we need to do for kids, what kids can do, and then also inspire the action. And that's what we need is more action. And again, uh, Annie, you mentioned churches and temples and uh, houses of worship and faith. Where are they in this situation? Where are they in terms of, you know what, when our kids are at, you know, playground or at the church or, or wherever, who's watching, you know, and do we know who they are? Are we vetting our our teachers and our institutions? I mean, look at the colleges and universities that have had scandals from Pennsylvania to Michigan to USC, 700 women, you know, 700 students because of an OBGYN who took advantage of them. I'm pretty sure that's not what the tuition was for. So, we have to really do uh, our due diligence and, like you said, teach our kids, uh, you know, who to trust and how to trust. Have those safe phrases or those words or, you know, always uh, give them a way to defend themselves, you know, and to reach out without uh, being ostracized for it. Well, I've been trying to add the hotline number onto the show page, but this computer is sticking its tongue out at me but there is a national <laughs> hotline and and the number is 888-373-7888 again this is for the national hotline for human trafficking and it's also a resource center hotline 1-800-373-7888 or they can text uh, for info or help to be free at 233-733 that's texting be free to 233-733. So those are two. They're on your webpage, which is Beulah's yes. Place. So they Dot can go org. to your webpage. Yeah, Beulah's Place. I'm looking at this, and I'm telling you, this computer just does not like me. It's brand new. That's probably <laughs> why. I'm so sorry. Yet. I'm the master of this control. <laughs> it's saying, no, you're not. No, you're not. I'll do what I feel like doing. But I, I will add it on to the show page later on so if people listen in the archives, they can get the hotline. But they can also probably call you or email you through your webpage, org, and you can direct them to what resources they can reach out to. Because you've got your Absolutely. thumbs in everything here. Absolutely. Well, I got a lot of thumbs, but I tried. The most important thing, Annie and Curtis, what we're trying to do, like I said, is create the greater awareness, you know, and and educate. Uh, It's very important. Our kids and adults need to be educated properly about the situation that the predators, they don't care who gets in the way. They simply want to, um, you know, get the product, so to speak. And and a perfect example is, you know, here in the middle of Oregon, uh, one afternoon, it was around 5 o'clock, this truck drove up to my driveway 
and my husband had just gotten home, and uh, it was two men in their early 40s in a red pickup truck, no women, and basically one of them got out and asked him, said, hey, do you have any kids here? Uh, we're, we're looking for our missing child. Didn't identify boy, girl, name. There was no mom, nobody hysterical in the truck. If it was my kid, I would be like all over that neighborhood. Um, they didn't go to any other houses. They just happened to see our garage open. And uh, they, they wanted to try and find a kid. And so that's how brazen some of the predatory activities are on the Flip side, you mentioned Epstein. Well, Epstein had Maxwell, right? Here, here's a nicely dressed woman, looks successful. You know, uh, I want to be like her in some young girl's eyes, right? Maybe she doesn't have a great home life or maybe she has dreams of getting out of, you know, podunk America. But she's looking at this woman who's like, oh, well, I, you know, I take it a nice lunch, buy a nice present. Uh, that's how one of my girls was lured into a trafficking situation. You know, uh, they know how to pick up on vulnerabilities. So who would want to be like that, right? But then once the girl gets there, it's a different story. Same with colleges. There are actually um, rings where they will pay college students, uh, boys, for example, to target a girl at a party or a frat party or a class. Maybe she looks vulnerable. Maybe she's not popular or maybe, you know, she looks like someone who could be easily taken, you know, or easily entrusted and invites her out for a Coke, you know, at Target or Walmart or wherever. Uh, and then the next time it's, hey, I'm having a little party with some friends, would, you know, would love to bring you as my girl, right? And then it turns into something completely different. Now, that's the tragedy because they, they, they want to be recognized. They want to be popular. They want people to like them. And what kid doesn't? Every kid wants that. All you have to do is find that soft spot. Hey, you want to become a singer? I'll help you with your career. I'll come to this party and I'll introduce you to people. You never get that career. Not the career that exactly. you want. You, you end up being owned, which is what Epstein and Maxwell did very, very well. But they're not the only ones. There are predators out no, in every corner. And you have sorority sisters that will go, hey, listen, we'll take you to a party. Just, you know, we'll introduce you to the guy. You know, once you go up and he wants to have a, a chat with you. Well, one thing leads to another. Next thing you know, you're the victim. So the kids exactly. wanting to be popular, they want to be liked, they want to be successful, but there is a price to pay unless we teach our children right from wrong, mm -hmm. good moral values. And, hey, listen. The world can be really nasty out there. Most of the time it's good, but you've got to be on alert and be prepared. Now, you've got a new book that's up on Amazon. It's A Fragile Thread of Hope. Tell us about that. Well, that is my part of my story as a survivor leader advocate, but it's also four stories, four different teens. Not all of them were trafficked. And how, uh, because society tends to overlook the kids on the streets for whatever reason. They don't like the tattoos or the piercings or they think they're bums if they're smoking or not. You know, all kinds of things that culturally and uh, society-wise we've done. And so there, there's my story and there are four stories of the kids we've rescued and also, you know, where they're at at the end uh, to kind of educate readers about who these kids really are that are out there and why they're out there. And some of them tried very hard to get help and they did not get the help they needed from a number of places. So it's kind of an education, a cross-section of a lot of these teens. And then, you know, at the end, of course, the tone, the water to hope and, and what can be done. 
So A Fragile Thread of Hope, um, One Survivor's Quest to Rescue, that's on Amazon. And then uh, we believe hopefully November we will also have our Voices Against Trafficking, The Strength of Many Voices Speaking as One, coming out on Amazon uh, later this fall. So we are out to, like I said, educate, create awareness, rally people for this human rights movement because that's what it is. We are, we are trying to fight 21st century slavery. We are trying to make sure that every human being has their rights protected. And if they don't, you know, let's go after the predators and make it count. And for the victims, let's get them the resources, mental and social and health because we are severely lacking in that and now we are severely lacking in in foster homes and places to put all of these young people that are out there on the streets in america well that's what we need we need people to open up their homes you know it's something my husband and i discussed just before he passed away but at that point we took my mom in so there goes the spare room for anyone we could take in but um we need people that you know you raised your kids or you've never had kids, maybe it's time to open your home to let another one into your life. Uh, It's a a wonderful thing to do. It is a wonderful thing. And I will tell you, uh, I don't think I've shared this before, but my husband and I actually adopted legally one of the girls we rescued eight years ago. And it has been uh, just a highlight of our life. You know, 20 years of marriage, we're in our 60s, and, and we are just over the moon because she is such an amazing young woman who's making her mark in the world because she had that chance and she chose us. You know, we waited. <laughs> but uh, so there's opportunities for all of you out there. You know, there are these are amazing kids. They just need to get stabilized and have somebody that truly can love and truly create a trust that is safe for them. Uh, the rest of, rest of the time, they're willing to do the work, you know. So just a thought in case you need another child. <laughs> <laughs> well, Andy Berger, thank you so much. Your website is BeulahsPlace.org. And once again, that hotline phone number is 888-373-7888 or text for info or help to be free at 233 that is 233-733. God bless you, Andy. Thank you for the hard work you, you do. You too. Thank you, Andy. Right, we Thank have you, to have you, But we have to have you back on when the next book comes out. You've got to give me a copy of both of them signed. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. I will do it. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Take care. All right. Andy Berger, check her out at uh, org, And we we got ourselves a great lineup here today because our next victim in on our uh, call line is Deborah Atlas, and uh, she's a newspaper columnist, a freelance journalist. She's done just about everything, uh, professional blogger, <laughs> speaker, and, and author of You Aren't Depression's Victim. Good afternoon, Debbie. How are you today? I'm doing fine, thank you. How are you? Uh, I'm so discombobulated. I got papers all over the place. I was up until 2 in the morning <laughs> doing my notes. I I come walking out in the living room and normally I'm up long before my mom, um, my husband passed away two months ago. Uh, So I get up early to make sure she gets her breakfast. She's a stroke victim, 89, Italian grandmother. You want her? You got her. (laughs) But she's looking at me. I I lived with my mom. I I moved back to live near my mom uh, the last three years of her life. So I, and she had a stroke. So I understand. 
Yeah, it's interesting at times. But nine times out of ten, he would be up or I would be up before she got up. And this time, this is the first time in a year and a half she got up before I did. She looks at me and goes, what time did you get to bed? Yep, mom's still asking, (laughs) what time did you get to bed? Uh (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. You know, I was going through your website and looking at everything, and I'm sorry I did not get a copy of your book beforehand. I I wish I knew to ask a bill for it, um, but it looks very interesting because you do a lot of work with self help, and yeah. um, it, it especially in today's day and age with these lockdowns, the pandemic, everyone's frightened, they're separated, no longer socially interacting. Yeah, there's there's a lot of mental illness that is coming to the service that normally would not be there. Are you finding this right or wrong? I think it's absolutely right, and the statistics will back it up. But I can also tell you from my own experience that when the lockdown started and COVID hit back last year, a year ago spring, I was hit just like everybody else with the fear and concern and isolation and all that. I couldn't write for three months. And one day I said, okay, that's enough now. Um, I wasn't going to let it run my life and how I felt. But I do understand there's so much isolation and fear and concern going on. And that automatically, for many people, triggers depression. But people don't realize that depression can be very, very debilitating. Um, mm-hmm. I know shortly after my husband passed away, I was, I was like the ever-ready bunny. I was all over the place. I said, all right, I'm fine. I, I just got to take care of all these things, get my ducks in a row. But once everything was all over, I ended up going to bed for two days, basically. I'd get up to take care of mom, but it was like I was – and it's just, it, it, the pressure, the loss, the grief hit me. And I realized yes. I recognized the stages of grief going through. I recognized it. I said, right, fine. It's got to play out because you let them feel better real soon. But I knew that I would feel better. The problem with people that have a mental illness, they know they're stuck in a rut and they don't know how to get out. I knew how to pull myself out because I, yes. I, I understood what I was going through. But they don't understand why they feel this and how they feel this. And we dismiss people with mental illness as something's really wrong here and you really don't want to get involved. And I think that's the wrong thing to do. Well, and or a lot of times they'll think, oh, it's not a big deal, just snap out of it. And it's Mm -hmm. not like that. When someone has depression, listen, I wasn't diagnosed with depression until my mid-40s, almost late 40s. And I lived with it for all my life up until, you know, from maybe age two. But there was no name for it. There's no language for it. And I didn't, I I couldn't talk about it. That's another thing about people who have depression. You're so in this narrow tunnel, dark place. You don't even know how to talk about it. You don't want to talk about it. You don't have a language to talk about it, which makes it even more isolating. And it's very, very yeah, if, if at the age of two they're going, oh, she's just a salty child. That's just the way she is. <laughs> you know, you know, she'll snap at it sooner or later, and she'll be fine. And maybe well, you, you may yeah. have a relative that. Go ahead. Yeah, you were I, was raised... Raised, I was raised in a type A type family, 
And so I learned to adapt. And like many people who live with depression, I learned to hide and mask the depression. My, uh, one of my siblings read my book recently and called me and said, you know, I really didn't know. I didn't. I said, of course you didn't know. I learned to mask it really early. How could you know? You couldn't. And that's true for many people who have depression. They've gotten masterful at masking what's going on. Not only that, it's like they go, there's something wrong with me. So I got to pretend like I'm just as normal as everyone else because I want to be liked. Yeah. I want to participate. Right. I want to be part of what is going on. But there's something wrong with me. So it must be my fault. So I've got to, you know, put it to the back burner, put it aside. You know, I'll have my me time to myself later on and then I can bury myself once again. But no, if I have to go to the social function, you put on a smile when you don't feel like smiling. Yep. And you, you pretend yep. to be happy when you really don't feel that way. But yeah. your book, I, ha- I have not, I'm, I have to apologize. Um, if, if I had known, I would have asked Bill for a copy of it. So I'm just going by what I read off your website and some of the information that I got. Uh, but your book, as I understand, is also a self-help book to help people realize how to pull themselves out. I, w- I, wouldn't, I would say it a little bit differently. Um, okay. I designed, it, I designed it as a book that empowers people, and there are pro- thought-provoking questions that I ask throughout the book to get people engaged and looking outside of how they always look at things. And that opens up new ideas and new possibilities that can empower them to create, how do I say this, a path for themselves the next time they bump up against depression so that maybe they don't have to automatically fall down into that depression pit. Um, you know, for me, it's a, I learned how to stand up to depression and I learned to recognize when it was, you know, rearing its head and go, okay, no, I'm not going there now. So the book is about giving people tools and information and having them design something for themselves. Listen, you can tell somebody something till the cows come home and it doesn't mean that they're going to be able to do something. But if they create it for themselves, that's very powerful. And that's what this book is designed for, to do. Well, in an article you wrote, there's a line that I underlined. It said, life is tough enough without us getting in our own way. Negative self-talk will do just that. And when I read that, I went back over to where you're talking about your book, and you have enjoy the quality of life with all S's. First first three, self-care, self-love, self-esteem. And that has a lot to do with kicking that negative talk out of your head. Yeah, very much so. You know, self-talk is something that unless something extraordinary happens, we usually don't pay attention to what we say to ourselves about ourselves. Um, But I've noticed, you know, I noticed over the years that when I got really into uh, difficult situations or I did something that I thought was really dumb, my self-talk got really disgusting. And one day I said, wait a minute, I'm not that. I'm not that that I'm saying about myself. And it was really awful. And I went, that's not true. And that 
was the first step for me to be able to kind of harness and shift this whole incredibly obnoxiously awful negative self-talk into something that was a little more positive, a little bit more, you know, supportive kind of thing. Um, I don't know if you know, have ever heard about NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming. Um, I've not no. done NLP, but, well, I've not done it. It, it is um, a methodology, if you will, uh, of learning how to turn around um, uh, how do you want to how do I want to say this? Uh, bad habits and bad self-talk and all of those kinds of things that stop us that we use to stop ourselves from succeeding. Now I have to say first off I've not done NLP but I had someone in my life who introduced me to it and there was a very very valuable thing that I learned that he introduced me to called reframing that I use all the time for myself, and I talk about it in the book, which is, you know, when I had that awful negative self-talk, I began to reframe it into something that would empower me. It shifted. And I found that shifting that negative to something more positive, I felt better about myself, I thought better about myself, and how I held myself physically shifted. So if we can even do that one thing, it's going to make a huge difference for ourselves. Well, you know, it, it's funny because when I was reading through your stuff, I, I thought about at one point when I was a kid, um, you know, you grow up in a family that everyone's, you know, strives and everything. So you're always competing against each other's siblings. And I had this yeah. thing when I was growing up, I just could never say that I was wrong about something. And all of a sudden, I, I stopped myself, and I, I, I was wrong about something, of course, at least once in my life. Uh, but I learned, and I said, you know what? No, next time I'm wrong about something, I'm going to say, I'm wrong. I don't know everything, but I will learn. And the second I did that, I felt a cold shift in the atmosphere around me. Is if, hey, that's the positive way to do it. You you made a mistake, yeah. you admit the mistake, and look how you can rectify it or improve yourself to be better. And then earn yeah. the respect of people around you because now you can be honest with yourself and with them and improve everyone at the same time. Sure. Because people see your humanity and ha- your generosity, and that's inspiring to people. It's inspiring to people. And we all need inspiration these days, especially. So, you know, I'm always looking for inspiration wherever I can find it, whether it's inspiration from being out in nature or uh, um, music or, uh, you know, painting or a quote or a something. Inspiration is a vital part for me of my mental well-being. All right. Well, you know, actually, I have uh, sitting on my wall right here next to the computer something I put up years ago. It's from Horace. And I just glanced over it, and I said, this is perfect. Happy the man, and happy he alone, he who can call today his own. He who, secure mm-hmm. within, can say, tomorrow do thy worst, for I have lived today. And that has to deal yeah. with self-love, self-esteem. 
And that's two of the things mm-hmm. of the top three things you have of your S's. And this is what makes people uh, victims because they don't like themselves that much. They don't know how to love themselves and value yeah. themselves for who they are and what they're worth. Uh, we've got yeah. peer pressure all around to make yourself look a certain way, dress a certain way, um, eat these certain foods because they're popular or do these certain things because it's popular, like this artist because they're popular. Uh, You have to uh, bow to the peer pressure. Otherwise, you're not going to be liked. You're not going to get those likes on TikTok or Facebook or whatever the flavor of the month is with social media. You're not popular. So something is wrong. And then you look within yourself and go, well, I'm too fat or I got too many freckles or my hair's too kinky curly. And then you try to change yourself to be someone else, and especially when they prey mm-hmm. on now kids. And now they're saying, well, I'm not a girl, I'm a boy. No, I'm not a boy, I'm not a girl, I'm a one of the 72 other flavors of the month. But this, is, this has to also deal with these kids have depression, and they may not recognize it, they may not be diagnosed with it, but we pamper it. Mm. I don't know that pampering is necessarily a word that I would use. I, I, I use that, I try and use that word sparingly because it, 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 there's a lot of, it, it gets bandied about a little bit. But I would agree with you completely about uh, depression being so incredibly prevalent among teens, among every age group at this point. A lot of it having to do with the impacts of uh, COVID and not just the lockdowns, but now the variants happening and the uncertainty again and the kids being exposed and more kids. It's just there's so much concern that we don't have anything to do. We we don't know what to do with. And so depression rears its head big time. You know, I um, – and yet there are things one can do to help yourself in the face of depression. That's what You Aren't Depression's Victim is about, to give people those kinds of tools. You know, for example, you know, I, I, I'm on a, um, a couple of uh, Facebook uh, pages for people who deal with depression, and I see the, the sense of helplessness and hopelessness that's out there. And, you know, for me, I've been there. I have been there. You know, I tried to commit suicide when I was 14. I I went to the bottom of the pit into complete helplessness and hopelessness and saw no reason to continue. And that's the thing is is that this hopelessness out that's out there is people seeing they don't have a purpose. They don't have a reason. They don't have a something to hold on to in the face of all of that. And you know, one thing that I have have learned is that when I get close to that edge of wanting to go into that hopelessness, I look for something that I can put my attention on that's not me, you know, whether it's a project or it's a volunteering thing or it's a creating something or, you know, when, when COVID hit, I'm an organic home gardener, and when COVID hit, when I took myself out of the the depression that I was starting to get deeply in, I almost doubled the size of my garden. It gave me something to focus <laughs> on. 
And, you know, a few months later when I had to go plant it, I went, oh, my God, what have I done? But, you know, um, you, know, it, it, you know, I expanded my flower garden. I expanded my, expanded my veggie gardens. And suddenly I had more room to do something that gave me joy in the face yeah. of all the uncertainty and everything else that was going on. You know, I go out multiple times a day just to look at my gardens because it brings me joy and solace. And, and you know, for people that have depression, that's vital. You need something that you can do or point to or get involved or engaged in that takes you outside of the circumstances and gives you something exactly. to hang on to. Well, you know, on, on your page, um, under the article, Your Self-Talk Could Lead to Depression, uh, you have the basics on how to help yourself make that shift. And you said, as we discussed just before, start to notice what you're saying and thinking. You can't change anything until you know what you're doing. You have to recognize it within yourself first before you can stop it, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. And then You can't make any kind of changes at all until you know what what you're doing right now. You can't. You know, trying to do that is, is like... Uh, trying to blow the wind the other direction. <laughs> you can't do it. You can't do that. Well, then you, you say acknowledge how often you're thinking and saying those negative thoughts. And you said when you do that, you realize how often you'll understand now, wait a minute, I'm starting to think that again. Maybe, as you just said, shift your focus to something else. Would you recommend saying, for example, keeping a diary to help them recognize how often they're having these thoughts and then when they can go back and flip the page and see how the thoughts start to taper off the more they recognize them? If, if you are someone who does diary or journaling, yes. I, I'm not. My book started mm-hmm. that way because I was, just, I, I, I was so stressed and so everything that was going on, I, I, I did it out of desperation. That's what I'm looking for. But I'm not normally somebody who journals. But there are a lot of people who are. And if that's what people are into, absolutely. For me, it was just upping my awareness. And I go, oh, I've heard myself do this before. Oh, I've, I've done this a lot. Oh, I did it again. You know, and I began to notice and notice and notice and notice. And finally, I got so sick of noticing, I said, okay, what else can I do? <laughs> that's that's well, the yeah. process that we're seeing. Well, you know, it's like as I'm reading this and having known some people that were addictive personalities, it is an addiction. You have to catch the fact that you've got this habit going on, and then you have to learn how to break the habit. So as if with Mm -hmm. smoking, alcoholism, or any other addiction, once you realize you've got yourself a really bad habit that has to be broken, recognize it and then learn what steps to take to help break it and bring you back on even uh, keel. Yes, and let me just uh, let me just shift something here. Rather than break it, which is a difficult thing for pe- people, think it's very difficult to do. I would say rather than break it, I would say begin to shift it. That makes it a little more manageable. Language is an amazing thing. How we use it can empower us or can have us step back and go, "No, I can't do that." And so I would say that we can shift things. It's a process. It doesn't have to happen overnight. Listen, my mom, used, when I was growing up, smoked two packs a day. And one day she said to my brother, if I stop today, will you not start? He said yes. And she stopped overnight. 
Now that she she was a very strong-willed woman, and she did it, but not everybody can. There are a lot of folks that I know who had to go through the process, the patch, or whatever they did, but it was a process. But it's a process to make changes in your life, and it's doable when you realize it is a process with steps, like facing up mm. to depression. The process with steps, and that makes it doable, manageable. Well, you know, there's so many great things on your, your website that people really should go to, which is your name, DeborahAtlas.com. But I want to shift gears here just a little bit because, you know, I retired law enforcement. And when I got the, the thing from Bill about you, he mentioned about, you know, police suicides. And I do remember <laughs> driving from my home, which was on the north shore of Long Island, all the way into the southlands of Brooklyn because a friend called me and... Yeah. A fellow officer I worked with, and he wanted to commit suicide. And I spent mm-hmm. hours with him finally convincing him to seek help, which he, he did while I sat there with yeah. him and made sure the help came. Um, but there, mm-hmm. in today's environment, between the lockdowns, between the defund the police, between the Antifa riots and everything else that's going on, there has been a large, large increase in suicides in the law enforcement community, as well as in the military active and veterans. Now, yes. this isn't the same as just the depression we're talking about here, but this is depression because of the job that they're trying to do to serve and protect is no longer appreciated. Yeah. These are men and women that give their heart and souls only to find themselves slapped yeah. in the face. and like, what is my life worth now if no one's going to appreciate it? This is a whole right. new genre here. Yeah, so how I, do you I help completely them? agree. Um, to realize that they're not alone. It's the same for anyone who lives with depression. Only it's tougher for folks in law enforcement because there's also a stigma involved. Uh, some of it is your own perception stigma, but a lot of it is public stigma. Some of it is stigma in their particular industry. It's very hard. It's very hard to say I need help. You know, people need to recognize that people who are in law enforcement are human beings. And um, human beings have flaws and human beings need help just like, you know, every every group. Um, And so for folks in law enforcement, you know, there, there there was a law passed in 2018 to give uh, law enforcement uh, the funds to get help and the resources to get help. Um, yeah. So that that's available, but having folks in law enforcement reach out and ask for help, that's hard. Just, it may be it, even harder than for laymen to ask for help when they're facing depression. Oh, yeah, because in most places, uh, law enforcement agencies, if you turn around and turn internally to their health services that they offer and you say hey listen i feel suicidal um they pull your your firearm you're stuck behind the desk right. you're part of the rubber gun right. squad any promotion you try right. to put in you got a mark in your folder any transfer you're looking for you got a mark in your folder and you will be in that right. same rut until they force you out and retire you and then you're like oh well you know 
I just never got the chance to enjoy the, the, the job I wanted to do. I never got a chance to go into areas where I can help people better, whether it's into SWAT or into the detectives or it, climbing the ladder to become captain or whatever. That's killed. The yeah. moment they do that, that is killed. But there mm-hmm. are helpers mm-hmm. out there. There is. Um, yes. Behind the Shield is one of them. Um, I would assume if they reached out to you on your website, you'd be able to help direct them to services in their area. Would you be able to do that um, for them? I, I can point them to a couple of organizations. Um, you know, I, what is it called? Blue Shield, I think. Blue, uh, I'm trying to think. My brain just stopped. I'm, I'm looking well, I know there's Behind the Shield. Yeah, there's that, but there was something else. Um, if, if you have, you know, send them to me because I would love to put together a list. There is no comprehensive list that someone could go online, Google, you know, help, you know, law enforcement, suicide or whatever, and you can come up state by state by state for them to know where they can go, whether it's physically or just mm-hmm. simply call on the phone. I would love yeah. to do that. Um, I think that that's an important list. I don't have enough information for that list. I have one or two that I saw in in my research, um, and I can point you to that. Um, let's see where it is. Let's see if I can get this really quickly. There we go. Yeah, okay. Here it is. Blue Help. That's what I was trying to figure out. Blue oh, okay. Help. Great. Blue Help. All right. Well, people yeah. can reach you on your website. Well, which is your name, DebraAtlas.com, and the book is You Aren't Depression's Victim. And it's so important because with everything going on, you know, whether or not you're just the single person at home or a family member doing homeschooling or you are law enforcement or military, everyone has bad times in their life. It's just knowing when you have it that there's help out there for you. And you talk yeah. about that on your website and in your book. Yes, I do. And I've written a few articles that are out there now, too, uh, about that. So, And I'm, I'm looking at writing more because this, this topic is just so prevalent. Um, you know, it, it's, it, there's this terrible statistic. More officers die from suicide than they do in the line of fire. I mean, it's just, it's horrendous. And, um, you know, we've got to do something to change that. And it's gotten worse since COVID started. So if anything I can say or point to can help even a little bit in that, then I, I consider it a success. Well, that's fantastic. Deborah. God bless you for the hard work you do. Keep it up. And we'll talk because, you know, like I said, I would love to put together something that they can go on to and state by state. I mean, I stood in uniform at too many funerals and cried to too many mm-hmm. friends that I've laid to rest. And... Losing one is just one too many. And anything we can do to help them, I'm willing to do. Been there. Right. I haven't done that. But <laughs> been there. Well, Deborah, God bless you. Yeah. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Okay. Deborah Atlas, check out her website, DebraAtlas.com, and check out the book, You Aren't Depression's Victim. So if you're feeling a little blue, Pick up the book, and it's about you. So I want to welcome back, who I haven't had in a while. She's a wild woman. I'm telling you, she's nuttier than I am, Lucretia Hughes. Good afternoon, Lucretia. How are you doing? 
I am just ducky today. I mean, I was up until 2 in the morning doing notes for the show, so <laughs> I'm a little wackadoodle today. You know how that goes. <laughs> yes, I do. I just finished cutting grass, and uh, allergies are kicking in, but it's ragweed season. Uh, wow. That's what it is, because I couldn't figure out. Yeah. I woke up the last two days, and I'm coughing, and I'm sneezing, and my eyes are itching. And that's what it is. Oh, my goodness. And, oh, yeah. and my neighbors have all been cutting their grass. <laughs> so my neighbors I mean, the so world don't tell anyone. Spinning and just because, you know, it's coronavirus out there, anytime you sneeze, somebody want to give you a stupid look. And I just look at them back <laughs> stupid. It's like, uh, where did, where did uh, allergies go? I'm sorry. We just counting COVID. No. Now I'm going to you just snap out of it. They, they want to hand yeah, you. you uh, they want to hand you a mask. <laughs> I, no, I like to breathe fresh air. I'm I'm fine. <laughs> well, it used to be they would start off the news with the pollen count, and now it's not the pollen oh, count; yeah. it's the COVID I count. Remember that. So you don't hear about pollen anymore. You hear about COVID. No, you, you can't make money pollen. off pollen, but you can make a lot of money <laughs> off the smog that they actually created themselves. <laughs> Well, you have the website Fallback Production Studio, and you do real news with Lucretia Hughes. And I have to apologize. I have not been up on the show lately because I had my household filled with the dueling walkers and wheelchairs and nurses and physical therapists. And uh, now it's starting to slow and down. And I'm I just so got sorry my... about your husband. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's... <laughs> Sometimes I look over the couch and I keep on looking for him. But I'm going to try to get back on and try to catch the show again and uh, just make comments like I always did something snide. <laughs> People can do that. <laughs> Don't feel bad. We've been traveling um, for the last week. I think I've, I could say we spent like maybe 36 hours driving up and down the road trying to get the rally out there because, you know, it's just me, my mom, and my husband that's actually putting this rally on. So, if this is what we have to do to spread the news of the rally is travel Florida, South Carolina, and back to Georgia, we will. Well, you know, I did look up the uh, rally, and um, I have to let you know the link on your webpage is broken. But on my show page, I put it up on the show page here so people can look at September 11th Faith Over Fear Rally in Loganville, Georgia, and the link to the Even Bright where they can get – and it's free where they can sign it's up free. and say, you know, and find out more about it. And you've got yourself a jam-up lineup of speakers coming. I was going to plan to go, and it's four and a half hours away from me. Uh, so that's a full day driving. So I can't leave mom alone. And I, I thought about it, and I really did think about it, and said, uh, no, she's still on the walker, and she can't cook for herself. So like, I'm there in spirit with you, girl. Well, you know what? 35 speakers, two performing acts. We have praise and worship team, bounce house, section for the kids. Um, it's, everything is free. All hamburgers, hot dogs, the works. And we just want people to come and have a great time. I'll be well, there. Are you going to be know. live stream? You yes, gonna be we're going to do it live stream. We're going to try to do it on our um, our media network and just try to get it out there. Are you going to have any press said, there? You know what? Better. We didn't even ask the press at all because it's always <laughs> some kind of underhanded way with the press. So instead of them coming here and, and trying to blow it up to something it's not, we are the press. So we will do it ourselves. And if somebody wants to actually, you know, run the rally that day, we're great. But you give us credit because the last time 
We had a rally, you know, the main mainstream media tried to say it's anti-government, anti-this, anti-that, and I'm not having oh. this, that, uh, this time around. Well, you know, one thing I was curious about, because I know Congressman Bob Barr is right there in Atlanta, so I didn't see him in the lineup. Yeah, all he had to do was say the words Maxie Waters to him and watch him go ballistic. The reason, the only reason why I did not uh, actually invite it, invite Bob Barr. He was here at a second rally two years ago, so he's been at one of my rallies. It, it's to the point when you get over 30 speakers, everybody and their grandma come out the woodworks wanting to speak, and it's like, <laughs> where y'all been? Where y'all been? When I asked before, it was like, I'm, I'm busy. Well, we busy that day. You could come, though, but, you know, just because you're running for office or something like that doesn't mean you're going to get spotlight on the stage because some people try to come here and make it all about them, and that's not going to happen. Well, how many responses have you gotten so far? Because I know when I put together my Tea Party rallies, you know, not a lot of responses, but all of a sudden a lot of people just showed up. So, you know, word travels. Well, right now, uh, registered for next week, we have 206 people. We have one more week to get it out there. That's not including the 35 speakers, their friends, their families. And my husband has made it a point as he traveled around the city Whenever he see a police officer stopped on the side of the road, he jumps out of the car and he invites them and says, please come. And the first thing they ask, aren't y'all the one that did the Back to Blue rally? We could come. We could bring our church members. Absolutely. Come and bring your church members. <laughs> yeah, we had a Back to Blue rally here last year, and uh, we put out you know, the notification, and we also notified the police departments and say, hey, send your friends, you know, send your family, whatever. So we were thinking we're going to have about maybe 15, 20 people. Holy cow, we had ourselves a big blast. Thank God we prepared for the, everything. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it, once you get us involved, <laughs> stand back, honey child. We're, we're going to help you. If you back us, we're backing you, baby. <laughs> That's so what I God love bless. it. And with those 35 speakers, you, you, if you see, they're from every walk of life, every nationality, um, pastors, preachers, politicians, activists, conservatives, um, police officers, veterans, is what we stand for as a nation, and as God family and country and that's why it's called faith over fear because we've been bombarded with a a lot of fear mongering and i'm over that because my god is bigger than anything out there well they tried to take us down on september 11th 20 years ago and you're there to say we're still here you didn't beat us so that's what i saw when i saw faith over fear on september 11th that's what you're trying to say aren't you absolutely because if there's any fear mongering, I'm going to ask you to get off our property. It's that simple. <laughs> you don't hold back, do you? <laughs> no, I don't. Um, number one, it's going to be a lot of people here of faith and, and a lot of praying and a lot of praise and worshiping. I can tell you right now, Satan or his demons cannot be around this type of atmosphere. So you're not going to be welcome here before you even get out your car because the Holy Spirit is going to be saturated in this place. Oh man, God bless, God bless. You know, Curtis, I know you you're going to be going up there. That's right. I'll be there next Saturday early. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm excited. I can tell you that I'm I'm extremely excited about this. Wow, I'm looking forward. Like to I it. said, 
I'm going to be watching the live stream. You're starting at 1 o'clock, and you're going through to 7 o'clock. That's a long time, six hours. Wow. Well, you know, it is our um, our property. This is at our house. We are inviting strangers here. So, actually, it can last until the last person finished speaking or if somebody want to bring fireworks and shoot them off. We'll have a, a big hoorah, but this is our house. This is our property. We're not jumping through hoops. We're not jumping through uh, fences to try to get people here if they want to come. We pray that they do come, but you know what? We don't have to ask the government for anything. We have our inherent right to do what we need to do to celebrate this nation as a whole. Well, now let's let's change the subject a little bit here. And yeah. our, our, our resident president, Crazy Uncle Joe. I can't, can, can he get any nuttier, girl? Can he? But there are people in Congress on both sides of the aisle saying he's either got to resign or we're going to put up articles of impeachment. Do you think when are they going to do it? Has little, uh, that's what I want to no. know. You better no. That's. <laughs> I, I don't know like how to, to say it any plainer. What are you waiting for? Because uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, his first week when she got up there, she started sending out impeachment. But just for the phone call that he sent over there to the Afghan president to try to get to flip the narrative of what was really going on on the ground, that right there is something they tried to impeach Donald Trump for. And this man right here actually has the proof that something's rotten in Denmark. And I'm not talking about the U.N. peacekeepers either. No, and I was screaming at the TV when I was seeing they're announcing the withdrawal, and they don't pull out the civilians first. They don't go after the dip diplomats. Uh, they don't go after the contractors first. They then don't go for the wounded military first. They don't destroy any of the equipment, which is standard operating procedure. We have never done what he has done in the history of our nation. As my friend Mike Cutler says, it was backwards. Yet you did everything opposite. You leave. We don't even know how much we're hearing, $85 billion with the equipment. I'm hearing all different numbers, $90 billion. You don't leave that in the hands of the enemy, and they are the enemy. How, what part how of you know that enemy? wasn't a down payment? How you know that That's wasn't a down payment? So you got to look at it that way. That's just the type of person that I am. My mind went that way. You got to look at Barack Hussein Obama and exactly what he did with Iraq. You got to think about all the military stuff equipment when it came to the the summer of love or what was it, Assange and Syria. Then you have it's so many facets, but that right there to leave all that behind to bring their voters over first, hint, hint, but left our people behind there. So you have schools and families that still don't know where their children at, but we're not a top priority. America's never been a, a top priority when it comes to the Democrat Socialist Party of America. So why are we shocked or surprised that if you had pay-to-play way back then, this was, is the manifestation of exactly pay-to-play and well, the Logan Act. Up. So there's a lot of ways you can wrap this up. Well, I'm putting up on YouTube and Facebook because I got the video running up there. Um, uh, something, a map that Benjamin Smith uh, had put up on his his uh, Facebook page. He was our guest last week, you know, the Navy SEAL, and he outlined it. And I said, you know, it's so simple. Just looking at this map, you've got a 47 mile border between Afghanistan and China. So before they even announce the withdrawal, how does China know? 
to cross that border, send an ambassador over there to speak to the head of the Taliban to make a treaty and say, hey, listen, when the Americans leave, we'll step in and help you. So China has a border that they share. So now they can do their bridges and land programs and then control Afghanistan, which has a lot of heavy metals. Oh, and gee, didn't uh, Hunter Biden make a lot of money and give crazy uh, uh, Daddy Joe about 10% cut uh, from the businesses in China uh, that no one's ever prosecuted him for? Um, But now crazy Uncle Joe said, well, we're going to switch to electric vehicles in all the government vehicles, and 50% of Americans by 2030 are going to have electric cars. That the batteries made, this precious metals made out of China, the electric cars manufacturing has already shifted back to China. So China's getting our weapons. They're selling us their electric cars and batteries from precious metals they're getting from Iraq, which borders, gee, Iran and, I, I'm sorry, getting the precious metals from Afghanistan, which borders Iran, which borders Iraq. Talk about a worldwide caliphate controlled by the Communist Chinese Party. Hmm. There's a reason mm-hmm. why that there's world domination with China. There's a reason why, if you look at a lot of different countries around the world, China owns a lot of them. And I mean a lot of their debt, a lot of their natural resources, and a lot of their property, just like in America, if you want to think about all the land that it has already uh well, I can't say stolen because it was freely um, sold to them. And you got to look at uh, Biden giving them authorization over our infrastructure. Now, who holds the most debt in America? It's China. They hold mm-hmm. more of our debt than we hold. So whenever they call that debt out, we're in trouble. I don't care how much quantitative easing you do. I don't care how much you want to uh, prop up the stock, the stock market, but once they call their debt, we're finished as a nation. And once you get 51% of family and households in America that is on somebody's government welfare project, then guess what? That's unsustainable. Now throw in even worse than that, the involvement in our education systems from pre-K all the way through college, especially with the control of these Confucius schools. Uh, Now you have also uh, gaining control of company after company here in the United States. Next time you pick up that package of Smithfield bacon, in the grocery store, you're buying from China because they now own Smithfield. Own Smithfield Foods, yes. And you better uh, also look at the chicken poultry plant. That would be great to see how much they actually own over here also and how much of our food supply line. Not only that, you got to look at China when it comes with the control over our imports and exports and also the docks. So that's with, I mean, Mitch McConnell and the rest of them. This has been planned for a very long time, and a lot of stuff that you're talking about was read into congressional records with the 45 Rules of Communist Goals. It just took this long, and that four years of Donald Trump gave us the reprieve of them completely taking us over. Well, they also now are on our stock market. They they allowed them to come onto the stock market last year when they were banned for years. So now they're trading publicly on our stocks. Uh, they now own most of the five, the 401k retirement plans that uh, companies are putting out. Your pension has a lot of investments in Chinese companies. The Chinese Communist Party have your your pension there. Uh, you know, government pensions. If you have a government pension, 
I guarantee my pension now has got partial investment from communist China on it. You know, you, they're in so many areas. Your cell phone, your computer, desktop, all came from China. And Absolutely. you go to Wally World, Walmart, I call Wally World, dare you to pick something up that doesn't say made in China in Walmart. An American company, yes, but it, everything's made in China. I have a I well, they can go shop with us because they all of our product is literally made in America. So you buy Americans, and and that's what we do. We when we get our raw goods, we try our hardest not to buy anything made from China. Are you going to um, pay more? So what? At least it was made in America. And a lot of these people don't understand that being entrepreneurs, which my mother and my husband and we are that we have to literally think about exactly what type of products or goods and services we're offering. And one thing we don't do is anything made in China. Well, that's why I support Made in America. So when I go to get my fresh produce, I'll go to a food line because I know they buy local fresh produce. It's labeled, you know, from which farm it came locally from, so you know it's local. Uh, when I buy my survival items, I go to My Patriot because everything they have on there is made genuine in America. Again, folks, if you go My Patriot to buy survival stuff, whether it's the food or the water filtration or the air filtration or whatever, even a first aid you can get from over there. Just go to our website, Southern Sense, put a dash in the middle, click on the icon on the top left, and go to My Patriot and stock up. Because, Lucretia, have you heard? Because I've been hearing this left and right. Yeah, I've been getting messages from people onto my websites that the government is now paying our own farmers to plow over their fields. They says you're not going to get that government subsidy unless you plow over your crop. They're causing a food, food shortage. So when you buy they caused the food shortage last year. They've been doing this the for a couple of years The food shortage was planned. Yes, because if, if that's not new when it comes to paying farmers to actually till over. Yes, that's that's been out there. That has been going on for a very long time now. So actually, um, that's not new. And I hate, crazy, I hate to say it that way. It's really not new of what they're doing to America people. So I hope, and one thing that we've been planning on doing is starting Prepper 101, because a lot of people have no idea how to prep themselves for a natural disaster. And you would figure no. after the, the food supply line was shut down that people would start wanting to prep. But, you know, that's something that we have to teach people. And that's one thing that people learn on your show is you have to learn to prep. You have to learn to research yourself, and you have to be more uh proficient in different areas of life. So hopefully people will pay attention. Doubt it, but, well, you, you know, know, I'm optimist. Well, God bless my husband because I would go, and it was something my grandmother did. They, my, they went through the Depression, so you knew you had to be prepared. And I do a lot of my own jarring and stuff. Most of the stuff I make is from home cooked from scratch. So I'm not, I'm not worried. My cupboards are always stocked. But... I would go and I would see like pasta on sale. And if it's the brand that I like, I'd snatch it up. And my husband's going, well, the cabinets are so crammed. There's nowhere else to put stuff. And I'd be shoving it in bags in the corner of the kitchen or wherever I could find it. So no matter what, when we had a hurricane, we lose power for a week. We got two generators. We were able to cook. We were able to watch TV, get on the Internet, do everything we needed to do in our normal day of life. Yeah, we didn't shower as often because we didn't know if the water was going to get shut off. But 
We had the swimming pool out back. So if I needed water to flush the toilet, I had it. You know, I had pots in the kitchen full of water. So if I needed it for cooking, I had clean, potable water. You know, people don't realize some of the stupidest things you need. And he used to say, why are you buying extra? And I said, I'd rather be prepared. And that's what people aren't. I can guarantee most people don't have enough food in their pantry to last them a month. They'll be out in a week. And that's when you're going to see, yeah, a few days, up to three days. And that's when, that's why I tell people, especially in the major cities, if you live 45 minutes, and that's just prepping 101, get away from the biggest major city hub because once that shuts down, anarchy is going to hit the streets. And I live in Atlanta, or close to Atlanta, so you can see that already. Anarchy, if anything ever happens, um, Keisha Lance Bottom them is not going to do anything to prevent the people in the suburbia and the rural areas to actually fend for themselves. And if you're looking at um, uh, sleepy, I mean, Joe Biden, then that's exactly what he wants to do is uh, disarm us and why he already then built a whole new, I hate to say this, but he has literally built a whole new army with our own yeah. stockpile. Yeah. Yeah, he has. He has. And he's been recruiting the citizens army. As, as he called it, the citizen's army. Like, what the heck is a citizen's army? Well, it's a private army. People that's going to snitch or, on their people. Mm-hmm. But also know who your neighbors are. Get to know your neighbors really well, uh, because when the hurricane came through here, what was it, Matthew, most of the people bugged out of here. But I have a Marine that lives across the street. He's retired. Uh, so I immediately went over to him. This is let you know we're here. We're not leaving. And you locked and loaded? Yeah, we're locked and loaded. We, you got battery? Got batteries? You got candles? Yeah, you got for the, the hurricane lamps. We got oil for the hurricane. We're we're stocked. You need anything? All right, just to let you know we're here. Every time a car came down the street, we didn't recognize. Both of us were on our front lawns. <laughs> so you know you have to know your neighbors, and know who's going to have your back and who isn't. That's right. That is so correct, and luckily. We have some really great neighbors around us, so that's that's a good thing. Well, I got to tell you, we and had I one just storm. hope and pray that people actually pay attention and start waking up to reality of what's really going on in America, and Absolutely. stop fighting amongst ourselves because we're not the ones that can wreck each other's life. Only the government is no. doing it, and they're doing a great job. Yeah, I, I got to laugh though because there was one time we had a bad storm come through and the power was out for almost a full day. And as it was getting dark at night, I'm seeing my neighbor's cars are still in the driveway, but I don't see any lights moving in the house. So I grabbed a whole box of candles, shoved them in my back pocket, and went door to door to door to see, do you have kerosene? Do you have you know, backup power? Do you need anything? If you've got food you need to store, I've got a spare freezer. Until the power comes back on, bring it over. I'll store it for you. got the generators up. You're... Just telling people, just be something as simple as having a box of candles and matches and keeping the matches in a dry place. So, Lucretia, I hope we're teaching people here something. Well, I always say, you know what, if you don't know what those hallelujah candles are, you could go to the dollar store and get one, two, those huge candles. Those are great also. They last a lot longer than um, uh, other things that I've paid attention to. Yes. Lucretia. Yes. Yes. Weren't you recently up in the Myrtle Beach area where we met you? 
Actually, I was. We was in Myrtle Beach two days ago. <laughs> we drove up, and we drove back, uh, turned right, right back around. We was up there for America's Voice News, so Real America Voice News, and I was up there on stage, and the next thing I know, they saying, we need for you to come to Cartersville. I'm like, well, that's in Georgia. They said, we want you there in two days. Can you make it? Absolutely. I will, and, of course, I, I, we made it. So from... Wow. What is that? Sarasota, Florida. That was uh, Friday, uh, Friday of last yeah. week. We came home you and Sunday. Yes, and then we turned around and went to Myrtle Beach. Came home uh, about six o'clock that morning. Took a nap, got up, did everything we had to, and is I've been on a radio interviews just trying to really get this um, rally out there. So that's what I've been doing, and I'm gonna just keep doing it someone asked me who pays you or who's asking you to do this no one has ever paid us no one has ever asked me nor my husband or my mom to fight for this country and but it's our duty to actually do and hopefully one day somebody will pay attention to what we do well are you on one american news now no i am not i am not on one america i'm i'm only on fallback media company and also roku and also god family and country so, no, no one pays us, um, no sponsors, no anything. So that's why we take donations on everything we do across the board. And I try to show everyone exactly what I accomplish with their money. So the people that's been here since day one know that I came and came from a flip phone on a stand and a suction cup all the way to them helping me build this whole studio. <laughs> well, you know, uh, Last time I saw you was years ago up in Myrtle Beach. Now, you and Curtis drove right past me, and neither one of you stopped down here to say hi. Now, I am so uh, – uh, you got me flabbergasted. That's how much you love me, girl. I'm sorry. Give me your address. We, <laughs> I, we would love to swing by because that, lo- that road is lonely. Even though my husband does driving, uh, I, you know, black women kind of got a behind back there. After all this riding in the car, I, I think I'm going to be flat. That's I ain't going to have nothing back there at all. But <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, Curtis, Curtis has stopped here a couple of times, so he knows he knows the nice area that I live in. So, yeah, we, we'll, we'll give you my address next time you have time to slip and come through. But uh, with Mom on my hands, yeah, with Mom on my hands, there's not many places I'm going to be going uh, for a while, <laughs> unless, unless I got someone who wants to adopt her and take her off. My hands. No you know what? When we was with Dave, and before Dave's grandmother passed away, we would just put her in a car. We're like, uh, we got places to go, so come on, get in the car. She's like, where are we going? Just get in the car. Because <laughs> <laughs> so she she came where we went. Well, unfortunately, she can't sit in the car too long because she's a stroke victim. So I no. can't have her too far. So <laughs> until you know <laughs> things happen. I'm stuck. Anyway, but Lucretia, it is always so much fun speaking with you. We always have a blast. And uh, like I said, I should have had you on a lot more often. At one point, we had planned on you being on every show with us, but, you know, it just never happened that way. So I got to apologize. When God has something in store, trust me, he's going to make a way for everybody. Yes, yes, which is funny because every time I do the show lineup, you know, I get people booking guests with me, and I'm not always paying attention. And all of a sudden I start to do my notes. I'm going, 
Oh, good Lord. I've got someone talking about human trafficking and abuse. And then the next person comes in is talking about depression and abuse. And you talking about how to bring ourselves together. Like you said, the good Lord has a plan for everything. And I wish we had a lot more. Well, I'm, I don't know if Mark Tapscott is going to remember to call in half the time he forgets. But I wonder, I mean, there's so much going on. But, you know, God bless the Supreme Court because everyone's pissed off at uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg from not stepping down, and the Supreme Court upheld the Texas abortion ban. And everyone Good. is up in arms on the left. I mean, they're having the conniptions where they're looking for the little huggy bears and safe corners <laughs> and running to the psychiatrist saying, I'm so depressed. <laughs> the, the evil conservatives won again. But, but now, they said, the, correct me. Correct me. Did Robert side with the liberals on this? No, I, I don't know. No, no, it was something it was else he five, started with them more. Okay. That was five Because we got so them, Robert's... we got them, what, 6'3", something like that? Yes. It's 6'3", on the what? bench. It's conservatively right. on the bench. Even though they right. do not vote conservative all the time. I'm telling you. Mm. I have but to look uh, that up it... again. I could have swore Robert's voted with the other guys on this. Let well, here's some good news. This is some really good news. The federal government, I mean, the FBI is going to look into why McDonald ice cream machines are down all the time. Oh, wow. (laughs) I'm like, seriously? (laughs) That's what you're going to pick. Okay, then. Nothing else bigger in the world but ice cream machines at McDonald's. Go ahead. Are they (laughs) going to spend $30 like they did on the dossier? (laughs) I don't know. It's not their money, so you know they don't care. Oh, Lucretia, there's so much more to go with you, but uh, you've got Full Bat Production Studios. Your radio show is Real News with Lucretia Hughes, and you've got this humongous rally going on in Loganville, Georgia, on September 11th, Faith Over Fear Rally. And as I I said, the Even Bright link on your show page is uh, broken, so you may want to check that, but it is up on this show page. Uh, so people can listening to this and click on it and find out how to get there and what's going on. God bless you, girl. And I'll please, I am soliciting donations because, like I said, all the food is free and everything is going on. With whatever you donate will help prepare and help with this rally and people be able to eat free all day long. Oh, I wish I could be there. But, you know, in spirit, and I'll be watching uh, the uh, the podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, Lucretia and I'll see you next Hughes. week. <laughs> All right, Y'all have a great. Oh, I just cut her off. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I clicked the machine. The machine took a few seconds, Lucretia. But we got your word. We we understand. Anyway, uh, we got our our buddy. Just come on, computer. Because this thing is so. Oh, I'm going to toss it through the window in a second. Mark Tapscott from Epic Times is going, oh, girl, this girl's on a, on a chair today. Good afternoon, Mark. How are you doing today? I am doing great, Ann. How are you and Curtis? Ah, I'm nuts. I am nuts. <laughs> so what else do you I got think? no complaints. I got no complaints. <laughs> well, let's, um, let's give you something to complain about. Let's talk about Congress. Uh... Oh, we have to? all right. Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. Hit me with it. Uh, well, uh, Social Security is a year closer to going bankrupt. How about that? 
Well, you know what? That's the top thing I have up here uh, sitting on the, all the notes I made last night. And that's what I'm going to be talking to you about. How did you read my mind? Well, you know, when uh, the government tells you that they're going to take care of you and then you realize that, hey, they're not getting ready to do what they said they're going to do, um, it should make us worry. And that's the situation with Social Security. Well, you know, Ronald Reagan made an attempt to privatize Social Security, and everyone's going, get throwing grandma over the cliff. And I actually sat down and did the math, and I looked at how much money was being taken out of my check every week, and I started to say, well, if I didn't take this money and give it to the government for Social Security and for Medicare for it, that I would collect in the future uh, – up until the age of 65, and I put this in my current savings account at the current interest rate, I came up with something like $1.5 million for me to live off of once I turned 65. People right. can save. I mean, I saw no reason why at that point the government should take be taking my money. So now we're coming to the point where Social Security is going bankrupt so benefits are going to have to get cut. And then Medicare, they already have been cutting benefits, cutting back on payments. I mean, the hospital bills for my husband are coming in, and I'm looking at, well, the hospital bill is so many thousands here, and Medicare is paying, what? I have to read this correctly? $278 only? And because they're not covering everything anymore, my secondary insurance is paying maybe $30? This is, this is nuts. I'm going to go bankrupt because they've cut the benefits that I should have been able to be covering on my own if I was allowed to save my own money and not let government hold it for me. This is the insanity. Mm -hmm. It is, and, and that's, that's been a problem with Social Security from the very beginning. Um, the, the theory underlying it is that present workers would pay in more than enough to take care of the benefits paid to present retirees. And that worked for a long, long time, mainly because, um, frankly, people after they retired tended not to live as long uh, as, as we do now. You know, when you retire today at 65, you can have a reasonable uh, expectation of living, you know, 10, maybe 15, sometimes even 20 years. Uh, and for more than a few people, longer than that even. And so the result of it is you have um, a great number of people who are working and paying into the system now, but you've got far more people drawing uh, benefits for much longer. And that has the effect of drawing down all the reserves and, uh, in effect, giving Social Security um a date, which now happens, according to the trustees' report that was released earlier this week, um, it was projected last year to reach a point of insolvency in 2034, uh, and just from what's happened in the past year, uh, that date is now a year closer to us. It's 2033. Um, and Medicare has the same problem, but it's it's much more pronounced um, Medicare will reach insolvency, the hospitalization trust fund, in 2026, 
And that's only five years. It's a little less than five years. So Congress is going, and, and the president, whoever that president may be after 2024, they are going to have to make some tough, tough choices about what to do to fix Social Security and Medicare. Exactly, exactly. And because you reach a certain age and you automatically get enrolled in it, now they're trying to tell you to go to these Medicare Advantage plans, blah, 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 tossing it off of government's shoulders onto subsidized private health industries that have to meet government standards. Instead of the insurance industry deciding what their risk benefit is, and then deciding how to draw the policy plans for the best thing that the consumer can purchase, they cut the consumer out once again and say, well, government's only allowing us to give you these benefits. And then you have a hard time trying to swim through all these different companies and compare all the different plans and just throw your hands up in the end and go, well, I'm just going to stay on Medicare as it is. What the heck am I yeah. even going to bother for? You know, yeah. I've, I've and, done and, this over the past even- even even then, Ann, you still have situations invariably where, um, for one reason or another, Medicare will not pay or won't pay as much for a service that you had to have that your doctor ordered. And if you call Medicare and try to find out why you have put yourself into the, the bureaucratic system um, in a way that is that can be incredibly frustrating because it's not unusual to get two or three different answers from two or three different people in the bureaucracy. So anytime government becomes the decider of who gets what for which benefits, uh, you are making it that much more difficult for people to understand uh, and to make good decisions about their own health. Well, you know, at one point in time, um, it was under Obama this stopped that, you know, if you're under the age of retirement and you are receiving Social Security and Medicare benefits, for say, for example, someone like me that was injured in the line of duty serving. So when I retired, they said, well, you know, in order for you to get what you deserve, you must. And I had to go through going before a judge and pleading my case. And you actually are sitting there before a judge in a courtroom deciding whether or not, yes, you're making a legitimate trick claim or not, and there are people with illegitimate claims collecting benefits, um, oh, yeah. they, would send you, they would send you every, every year or every two years uh, a form in the mail that you had to fill out saying what doctor visits, what physical therapy, what procedures did you have from the last time you filled this form out, and you had to put down where you went, what it was for, who you saw. And you had, and mine would be like eight pages long. <laughs> so after a while, they said, you don't have to fill it out anymore. <laughs> yeah. But you used to have to prove that you know you were collecting legitimately. They no longer require yeah. that. So we have a rampant abuse of the system between Medicaid and Medicare, and it's two different things. But somehow or other, funds are getting crossed, and so even yeah. more fraud is is, is occurring. And the same thing with Social yeah. Security disability, or uh, yeah. where do they have it for uh, families too, uh, for uh, uh, the impoverished uh, Social Security insurance? Right. Mm-hmm. right. So they're being abused. Now you toss in the pandemic, 
where funds are being used for COVID treatments and uh, patients and people saying that they can't work anymore because of COVID or people that no longer are working because they're getting government benefits, paying them more than they were getting as a paycheck. So they're not paying into the system that they're receiving funds from. So there's a huge drain down, and you have two fantastic articles up on the Epic Times, CCP virus impact on healthcare, and the other one is the county critics say the biggest problem facing Social Security are trillions, not, not a few million, not billions, but trillions in unfunded debts. And I've got my little notes all over the page that people can, I'm holding up in front of the cameras so people see. Yes, I do read these things, Mark. <laughs> You know, I, it, it, it surprises me a little bit. Um, actually, it surprises me quite a bit. When I, whenever I do a story on some aspect of, of the problems with fixing Social Security and Medicare, uh, I get a lot of emails from readers. Um, my, you know, the stories on Epoch Times, um, most of us reporters have our emails there because we like to hear from readers. And frankly, we often... Um, uh, pick up on information that we might not otherwise have gotten, thanks to readers. But I always get a flood of, of emails from people uh, who, are, who are, frankly, angry about the situation that, that Social Security especially uh, has, the way it has been mismanaged for so many years and now is in such trouble. And that critic that you just mentioned is Sheila Weinberg of a group uh, based in Chicago called Truth and Accounting. And their point is very simple, actually, and it is absolutely, it gets to the fundamental problem with Social Security that the government has been promising um, to put in so much money in the trust funds for all these years, but the trust funds really are not, they're not what you and I normally associate with the term trust funds. Basically, they are just government promises to pay when the benefit comes due. But there's trillions of dollars of benefits that the government has promised to pay in the future that it has no way of being sure it's going to be able to pay for them. That's called an unfunded liability. And Mm -hmm. Social Security has $40 trillion worth of Benefits promised that at this point in time, the government has no way of paying. With Medicare, it's $55 trillion. So these are big problems, and they, they we've put them off and put them off and put them off. The day is getting very, very close when we're not going to be able to put them off anymore. Now, it used to be a lockbox, and all of a sudden, someone found the key and opened the box. So that lockbox, where the funds were supposed to remain anyway, were, were taken. So that box is empty. You know, the coffer is absolutely empty. And they're making promises, but as I said, you now have more people earning money from the government on welfare or whatever you want to call this COVID benefit they're receiving and then they are out there actually working and then you have you know in order to entice companies to get you know employees walmart just increased their uh minimum wage to i think it's 1650 an hour well mm-hmm. you know i went to walmart the other day 
And there are 12 checkout lines, and you've got 12 self-serve. There was no one in the manned checkout lines. The only checkout line you had open were for the self-serve machines. So, yeah, you're paying 16.50 an hour, but whatever can be automated will be automated. I said this years ago when it first came out saying $15 minimum wage. And I said, you do that. And they were protesting outside the McDonald's by me at the time. And I says, keep on protesting. He's going to shut down. He's going to revamp. He's going to say, I'm remodeling. When he opens up, a lot of your jobs are going to be gone because he's going to automate. There's going to be self-serve kiosks in there. Sure enough, six months later, he opened up with self-serve kiosks and less employees. So go ahead, scream for the minimum wage. You'll have no wage. And then you're going to depend upon government to pay you to sit home. Uh, and eat your pot of beans and play video games, something's got to give here. Something has got to give, Mark. Well, you know, in Oakland, California, they're experimenting with a program where they give you, and I mean they literally hand you a check every month. You don't have to work. You just get, I forget exactly how much it is, but it's not an insignificant amount of money. Somebody had to pay the taxes for the bureaucrats in Oakland and the politicians in Oakland to be able to hand those checks to the people who then went and cashed them and did not go to work. You know, they went and did whatever they wanted to do, but it was not work. It was not productive labor. It was not something that generated taxes. And every time you eliminate a job, as is happening throughout the economy these days, because of automation, also because of uh, government policy, such as, for example, forcing the market to uh, move from all of us buying gasoline-powered vehicles, cars and trucks, to electric-powered ones. When you do that, you're going to eliminate millions of jobs. You know, Joe's garage is is not going to be in business anymore. And every time you do that, you constrict the economy, and you make problems worse. It's, it's like Ronald Reagan said, you know, the, uh, the, 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 the most dangerous words in the English language are, I'm from the yep. government, and I'm here to help you. Here to help. Yep. <laughs> yes. Run for the hills. You know, instead of taking, your car, the, to, instead of taking your car to the mechanic for an oil change or lube job, you're going to be taking it to the computer place. Oh, wait a yeah. minute. They're always backlogged at the computer place, so there's no one to be able to service your vehicle. So guess what? You're not going to have a vehicle. So you're going to be forced into urban areas, urban transportation, sustainable living. And forget about the guys out here in the boondocks because you're not going to be able to live out here because you'll not have transportation. You won't be able to right. go get groceries. All these things. We came out here to be more of a survivalist, but you're going to try to force us and corral us into the cities once again. Why? Because it's highly democratic, and they can control you. They can control where you work, when you work, control your education, control your medication. Everything will be under control, and that's what they're looking for, control. And unless we wake up and smell the coffee. But, Anne, you know... They only mean it for our good. Ah, ah, that's it. That's right. That's right. For my good. 
for my good yeah. so I couldn't keep my own money all those years and retire with 1.5 or more million dollars in the bank hmm. as for my own good yeah. that they decide whether or not I get physical therapy or I get a medical procedure that's for my own good I had uh, I had physical therapy over here from my mom today because they had cut off her physical therapy and she was complaining and the guy came out to reevaluate her and it's like well after this you know, they're not going to approve anything further. If we try to apply, uh, you're going to have a little mark. And that's what they can do. They turn around and says, well, you're complaining, and you keep on applying for these benefits. We denied you. Uh, you're on our watch list now. And mm-hmm. then you're going to find mm-hmm. more and more denied. So there's always yeah. a way in which to control us. They always find some sort of a way. We have to find the way to take our control back, which means we've got to get someone like Trump back in office again. Well, I'll tell you what, the, the, most, the most important thing that any citizen in America can do today is to, is to get themselves informed on what's happening in Washington, who is doing it, what they're doing, and make up their mind about whether or not they want to support those people. And there's going to be an election here in uh, November of 2022. And I have a feeling that it's going to be a real earthquake of an election. And there's going to be an awful lot of politicians in both parties, the Democrats and the Republicans, who are going to wake up the morning after the election, and they're going to be farmers. And And I believe that. That will probably be a very healthy thing for this country. I believe that. Well, this November, there is also an off-year election in a lot of areas. And here in South Carolina, we have one. And you got to pay attention there also because on an off-year election, they like to slip things on the ballot. And because it's a very low voter turnout, they 99% of the time get those things passed. And uh, we, we are alert here because in my county, they're trying to do two resolutions, changing the form of government and instilling an additional sales tax on us when they just got additional money. So we are waiting and we're, our plan is in place. We are going to pounce when they least expect us, and we're going to rile up the voters just before the election. We're going to use their tactics against them. We're going to use their wording against them because when they were trying to word it, I just no. Look at it as if you're a Democrat trying to write this ad, promoting it from their point of view. Use their words. We already know how they do it. Use it. Use those words. Use those tactics. And wait at a stealth pounce when they least expect it and get the voters out there when we need it. Yeah. You know, I um, uh, happened to be sitting next to a gentleman uh, earlier today uh, in a restaurant. And I noticed that he was wearing a blue shirt with a map of Texas on it. And my family all Mm. comes from Texas, so that that really caught my attention. And the slogan underneath the map of Texas on this blue shirt was, it won't turn blue by itself. And, of course, he was associated with one of the um, drives by the Democratic Party in Texas to increase their registration, and which they trail Republicans by a big margin. They want to turn Texas from being one of the most red states in the union into one of the most blue states. And if that ever happened, of course, it would make 
it would it would be a very very big important development in politics. And I told him, mm. I said, um, um, I happen to be from Texas, and I can tell you, you guys are going to have a long hard road before you get to Blue Texas, and you probably won't ever get there. <laughs> and he <laughs> laughed and he said, I, "We've about decided that ourselves." So, hey, Mark. Point is, yes. Uh, well, go ahead and make your point, and I'll ask you the well, question. Well, the reason I the reason I mention that is, I I really do have a tremendous amount of faith in the people in this in this country because, you know, most of us have to work hard. We don't have all that much attention to or, or opportunity to pay attention to what the politicians are doing, but when we do, generally the American people, you know, they make good decisions when they go to the polls. And I, I'm really confident that that's going to be the case in November 2022. I'm sorry, Curtis. Now, go ahead. Now, I was going to say, and I believe it started with Obama, but um, Biden's carrying on through with it. He's they, They're letting, or actually, they are taking these people to come here illegally and put, putting them in red states, hoping that they can turn it from um, red to, to purple or whatever, until they can get the blue. Um, do you see that as the strategy that they're, they're really uh, are behind? Well, I don't have any direct evidence of that. And one of the stories I did, I think, two weeks ago was, um, I believe, a group of Republican congressmen were asking the Department of Homeland Security for information on where they are putting all of these 1.5 million illegal immigrants that have come across the border this year. Uh, where in the U.S. are they putting them? We know that there are a lot of them are going to, who are being relocated within Texas. A lot of them are being relocated in other places like Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, and so forth. Um, and the Department of Homeland Security refuses to disclose where they are putting these people. So it wouldn't surprise me a bit, Curtis. It wouldn't surprise me a bit to learn that uh, there is a reason why they send them to one state as opposed to another. Um, it's not necessarily the case, however, that illegal immigrants, once they are settled here in America and establish lives, at some point, some of them actually begin to vote um, the, the wrong way, according to the Democrats. So, so that that might not work out quite the way they think it will. Uh, well, they, they they did that with the UN refugee program. And we started challenging him on that. Matter of fact, here in South Carolina, we had a lawsuit against uh, Governor Haley uh, for allowing them to come in. So when I heard that they were busting these he- the people over here, I had called uh, our attorney general's office, Alan Wilson's office, to say, you know, I know that he fought this when Nikki Haley was governor and he won and he helped the area of uh, Greenville's Spartanburg. Uh, so I know that they have it planned again in that area somewhere, possibly Anderson, to bring the uh, illegal aliens. So I wanted to see what his office is going to do. I'm going to have to follow up again because he has not gotten back to me. But, you know, we need to contact our state attorney generals and say, we fought this under the U.N. refugee program and we got it stopped. We got to fight it right here and now because he's literally breaking the law in every state. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. The Supreme Court, um, you, you may have already talked about this today, but the Supreme Court uh, ruled that 
the Biden administration can not any longer uh, ignore the law that was passed under Trump, the Remain in Mexico law, whereby when uh, somebody crossed over the border into the U.S. illegally, uh, the southern border, the um, um, customs people would send them back across the border into Mexico. And they had to right. wait in Mexico for their cases to be adjudicated. And mm-hmm. that was one of the main reasons why Trump was so successful in uh, regulating and, and slowing down the, the flow of illegals into this country. And Biden, of course, threw the barn door open on that. And the Supreme Court said, well, you can't, you can't not enforce that law. You have to start enforcing it. They haven't started enforcing it yet. So it's going to be interesting to see how much longer they're going to be able to sit there and defy the Supreme Court of the United States and not enforce that particular law. Well, I do know government, Governor Abbott has turned around to the, uh, his National Guard and said, we're giving you arrest powers. So if you do come across these illegal aliens, you do have the power to arrest them. So mm-hmm. we need the governors along the border to start securing the border the same way Governor Abbott is. Um, we have um, uh, customs being taken off the northern border and sent down to the southern border to help process these aliens. Uh, so, you know, you've got the federal government <laughs> trying to get them across, and we've got someone like Abbott trying to secure the border. Uh, so we we have to make our voices heard and say enough is enough. It's got to stop. It's the only way it's going to stop, and we've got to do it at the voting booth as well as vocally in newspapers, talk shows, contacting your elected officials, being a pain in the butt until action is taken. And you can tell I'm on a rant and, today, Mark. And, and you, just, you just said the most important thing. Contact your representatives and tell them what you think. Be courteous to them. Be respectful to them, but make it clear you know, I've got my eye on you, and I know what you're doing, and I will remember it when I get And how you're voting. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, I, well, I know you, you know our governor, Ryan DeSantis, he already put out the word to the federal government. Don't try that here, sending all these people here, you know, trying to make yeah. this a blue state. He's not going to allow yeah. it. We need yeah. more governors, Republican governors, to step up. Well, well, Mark, I, we, we I, not I, only well, I was going to say ahead. we not only have the, not only have the assault from the southern border, but we also have this invasion that Biden has created of these refugees coming in from Afghanistan that are not being vetted. We already have the federal government making a public statement like, well, we're finding out that not everyone has been vetted, so we're putting them in isolation until we figure out who they are. This is scary. Surprise, surprise, surprise. If if there has ever been a more bungled operation by the U.S., by the federal government, the evacuation of Kabul has got to be number one. I have never... No doubt. Actually, in American history, something like this has never happened, not even with the fall of Saigon. 
You get the, the civilians out. You get the, the American citizens out. You get the contractors out. You get the diplomats out. Once you have all non-military personnel out, before you leave, you destroy every piece of equipment. You use whatever you need, a bunker buster or whatever, but you don't leave. Not even a shirt with an American flag on it. You don't with I was listening to one general with the pullout, he goes, Someone left a cooler sitting there with the American flag, I made them go back and get it and pull it out because I'm not leaving it. Not a single thing yeah. they could use. So yeah. this is not what happened. So we have billions of dollars, we don't know how much in military gear. Sitting in Afghanistan, we already know it's making its way over to Iran, and it's a short border crossing to go over to China. China's already said, we're coming in to help you, so our technology is already in Chinese hands. It's already in Iranians' hands. And it's going to be used in Iraq, and that caliphate the Muslims want will be run by the Chinese Communist Party. You know, Ann, you have me scheduled to come back in two weeks, and I am... Pretty confident that one of the first things we'll probably be talking about in two weeks is the disaster in Kabul. I'm I'm praying they start a congressional investigation now, not next week, not after the election, this November election, not even after the 22 election. We want this now. We need answers now. There's dead Americans. There are Americans being killed, being held hostage, and are being ransomed. There are women that are being badly abused, children that have been left behind. How many people did we see leaving on those planes? And you look at those plane loads, 90% male. Where were the kids? You don't see them. And why were we hearing about these planes coming in? from Delta and American Airlines and all the other airlines he he uh, inducted into the U.S. Air Force, leaving, that held, easily held five, 600 people, leaving with five or 10 people on it, and not Americans. This, yeah. this is not a, a tragedy. This is criminal, and I would say even treasonous, that he left, willingly left Americans behind. And we hear story after story of Americans pleading, saying, I couldn't even, I get to the gate, and they wouldn't let me in. I was turned back. We heard of a busload of people that were being rescued by the Pineapple Express. He goes, I've got 25 Americans here, and you've got the general from the uh, 82nd Airborne forcing him to return and leave. And he has no idea what happened to those 25 Americans. So more Military veterans are going in and doing their version of the Pineapple Express, and God bless them for doing that. This is where America steps up for Americans and not the government. As you said, I'm from the government, and I'm here to help. Boy, that was some helping hand he gave. Who do you have on next, Dan? I have no one on next. I was going to have someone else on, and they had to back out last minute, had to cancel. So I'm free and clear. If you want to hang out, we got plenty to talk about. Because you know what I have sitting in front of here, and I'm looking at this, and I go, gee, I recognize this place. Uh, it was in Brooklyn, and you have here an article in the Epic Times, Liberal Jewish Group's White Paper Warns of Critical Race Theory Fueling the Growth of Anti-Semitism. And the funny thing is, is that the, the uh, vehicle on the front photo of that 
is not an NYPD car. They have a symbol very similar, and they did this deliberately. This is the Shaman Hasidic Special Patrol. This is the Hasidim, the Shaman Patrol. And I had a laugh because they made their cars look like NYPD, and a lot of people think they are, and they're not. That's the civilian patrol. I had a laugh. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm pulling that story up now. Yep. This I, was in I, Crown Heights. Yeah. <laughs> I see what you're talking about. Listen, I, I can stay on for about five more minutes. If I'd known you were going to need me longer, I would have changed my schedule, but I can't, unfortunately. Uh, no, that's, that's, that's five right. five more no. minutes. Well, this is something you, that no you, one is talking about. I was going to talk about the anti-Semitism rising. We saw it with the election of these Muslims into Congress. So Ilian Omar and uh, Rashid Tlaib, uh, fueled yeah. also by AOC. But this has been going on for quite a while, and no one has been talking about this. And especially in areas of like Crown Heights, uh, Williamsburg in New York City, and synagogues are being attacked and burnt. And Absolutely. There was, yeah. And you see, they see them being attacked by various individuals because they're simply Jewish. And we're saying, well, black lives matter because we're different. Well, it should be every life matters. So Jewish life matters just as much as a black life. But no one That's is true. talking about it because they, throughout history, have always been the target. You know, and it, it, it just amazes me that, as, as you say, throughout history, um, Jews have been the object of such intense hatred and prejudice. Um, and yet, and, and we have had a problem with prejudice against uh, black people in this country. We all, we all know that. We did. We did it. Um, everywhere you look around the world, there are prejudices between groups of people, and yet every one of us bleeds the same red blood. I, exactly. I, prejudice against other groups, I just I do not understand, but, but prejudice especially against Jews, and especially in America, is just, it, it amazed me. I, I have to confess, before I read this white paper from the Jewish Institute for Liberal Values, that I did not realize that critical race theory was encouraging more anti-Semitism, but, but the fact is that it does do that, and that's that is um, that's tragic. That is just tragic. Right, and they they use the protocols protocols of elders of Zion uh, as, and they just basically copy everything uh, by stereotyping uh, the Jewish people. Um, and most of what they write is absolutely wrong. It's just to rile hatred. And if you think back yeah. to the civil rights movements of the 50s, 60s, and 70s, who were the ones that were the first ones to go south to march along blacks for equal rights? They came from the absolutely. Jewish temples. And That's yet, right. when you That's saw Antifa, right. the Antifa riots and the Black Lives Rights, who were they attacking? the Jewish people, the very people that helped to defend to get the civil rights. And it is such a, a crack of hypocrisy, and it's an excellent, excellent article. And as my grandmother used to always say, she says, Anuch, the only difference between 
a Christian, a, a, a Catholic, and a Jew is we put tomato in our chicken a soup. <laughs> it's just great. You know, there's not much difference. It's just how we make our chicken soup. It's a little different. But, Mark, I'm not going to hold you too much longer because I know you have a lot up to work on, and you've got, you are marvelous to stay as long as you want, and uh, I really appreciate that. Well, listen, I am going to have to, to sign off here, but um, listen, in two weeks, uh, we will we will do this again. And, Curtis, it's good to hear you again. And, Ann, y'all have a great hey. rest of the uh, Labor Day weekend. It's always you a, too. an honor to be here. Well, God bless you, Mark. I love the work you do. So we'll be talking in two weeks. People can find you at right. theepictimes.com. God bless, Mark. Mark Tapscott. Check Your out Labor Day weekend. Uh, yeah, it's Labor Day weekend, folks. Be careful out there because people start drinking and driving. Uh, man. Hey, listen, um, there's, there's a lot of stories coming out of Georgia uh, about finding illegal ballots, ballots that weren't counted or overcounted. Um, I I've think it's going to break that. real soon. I think it's going to start to break so real too. soon. Um, we've got the election coming up, the recall election in California. And, oh, my goodness, uh, that, that's going to get really hot and heavy. And, you know, it will be contested because somehow or other they changed the election law. Now, I thought any change to election law per the, excuse me, per the Constitution uh, must come out of the state legislator. Someone cannot ar- arbitrarily just decide to change how you vote. But suddenly someone decided that you can print your own ballot off of your computer and mail it in. You see, you don't see any problems in that. Do you see it, Curtis? Oh, well, I'm saying what a way, what a, what a, a, a gate to open that will never be shut again if that that's allowed all across the United States that you print your own ballots at home. Wow. Yeah. How are you going to validate those things? I want to know exactly because normally it's printed on marked paper. So if you hold it up to the light, you can see the, 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 the mark on the watermark on it or to have some sort of a safety strip. There'll be something on there to make sure that that document came from the printer that it was assigned to. Uh, yeah, but also the ones that they are mailing out, when you put the ballot into the return envelope, there are two little windows. And at a glance, without even opening the envelope, they'll know whether or not you voted for the recall or against the recall. So how many of those wow. things do you think are going to end up in the trash? Never get counted if it says you're voting for the recall. Do you see you know, any problem with tampering here? <laughs> The left have no shame in their game, as they say. I mean, these are the same folks that will argue that you are putting a burden on the black community and other minorities because you require them to have an ID, you know, when they go to vote. Yet, if they held a a Democrat National Convention thing, you need an ID to get in there. Matter of fact, they also build a wall, you know. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, they they insist on having their conventions in a democratic city, but yet they won't use union help to staff the event. I, uh, I just got to love the Dems. But here we got the, uh, the election coming up. I believe it's next week, the recall election. Larry Elder looks to be like the top runner. 
Uh, he's garnering a lot of support. He recently got an endorsement from a top Democrat. Um, I believe this person used to be the state Senate majority leader, and she came out and openly endorsed uh, Larry Elder. I forget what her name is. I had seen that article. I don't know if I have it in this batch here because I got about another half inch to go through before I get through all the stuff I pulled out for the show. But you got to remember that recently authorities discovered 300 unopened vote by mail ballots uh, for California recall election. Um, I heard about that. in a guy's car, someone called to say he was parked at a 7-Eleven uh, when he wasn't supposed to be there in Torrance, California, and the guy was sleeping in his car. So when the cops showed up, they found Xanax, methamphetamine, a handgun, and the special election ballots and driver's licenses and credit cards not belonging to the suspect. Uh, but when they say that when they arrested him, this was not election-related. 300 unopened vote by mail California re-election, uh, California election ballots are found in a guy's car when he has no authority to have them along with someone else's ID and credit card and this is not election related don't you think he would take those credit cards or IDs or whatever and hand the ballot in and say yeah this is me see my driver's license thumb over the picture no no not election related 300 ballots but uh, no, no election fraud. You can print out your ballot from your own computer. Oh, it doesn't say how many times. It doesn't restrict you how many times you can print your ballot out. Or the fact that you're printing it out for yourself and not someone else or putting someone else's name. No, there's no election fraud here. Hmm. No, no. Or you're mailing your ballot and at a glance, anyone and everyone can see whether or not you vote for the recall or not. So those ballots just may get lost like in the back of this guy's car. No, no, nothing, no fraud, no, nothing to see no. here, folks. Keep moving along. Nothing to see here. And you know, <clears throat> I meant to ask Lucretia, what are they doing up there to prevent another debacle up there in Georgia, like we had the last time? You know, and they had a um, uh, what what they do? Uh, vote twice, I think, to uh, verify that there was no cheating. But they, they use the same fraudulent ballots. <laughs> so, of course, they get well, the same result. Supposedly, they passed the election reform bill, uh, which tightened up all of the election <clears throat> laws. Uh, but the problem is, is there's a video out there on the, uh, on the World Wide Web. Uh, I'll probably find it up on YouTube. Of the election workers in Atlanta feeding the same ballot through. And you actually physically watch her feed it through the top, take it from the bottom, feed it back through the top six times the same ballot over and over again. When they started doing the audit, they did find that certain ballots uh, were not official ballots and other ballots had been fed through the machine multiple times. Whether or not they've changed the recount, I don't know. But this is a huge battle going on in Georgia right now to change the count. But once the election is certified by their state legislator and then sent up to the Electoral College and then certified by Congress, there's no overturning the election. So, folks, you're thinking about that? Unless there's a legal case that's going to be brought up forcing a certification to be overturned, it ain't going to happen. And I don't think anyone wants to go down that road to have an election decertified 
because it will set a precedent that has never been set here before. So if it happens with the Democrats, what is going to stop them from challenging future elections and having them deserve election that in a Republican one? That is why the Republicans will not challenge the certifications. They'll say, well, it is what it is, so let's move on. But let's do the audits. And after every election, every state should do its thorough in-house audit after everyone to make sure this, their elections uh, stay, stay secure. You can tell I'm getting fired oh. up. Like I said, I, I can't wait till January of next year to see who I was going to throw the hat in the ring for um, the presidency and some of the other congressional races going on out there. It'd be interesting to see who challenged some of these rhinos. You know, um, I noticed we have been getting a lot of um, military people to to run for office at the state and uh, the the national level. Um, so hopefully that'll continue. And and like Mark said, I, I think there's going to be a earthquake of a, a midterm next year. The results well, of, Su- is going to shock a lot of people. Well, Suzette in the chat room says, California has been working hard to safeguard our election process with the Election Integrity Project California. Uh, a lot of states are, have them going on. We have one here. Um, oh, geez. Uh, Engage the Right has been doing that since the last uh, election cycle and is still working on it here. She's mostly local, but it's starting to go statewide. And there's another one here in South Carolina. So, yeah, local groups are going after this and proving where there is fraud. Now, my friend Lori, who runs uh, Engage the Right, uh, she went through the last the election and shown at how dead people were still registered to vote. And some of them are shown to have a vote. Well, I'd like to see how you vote from the grave. So I'm going to be very careful this next election that no one uses my husband's uh, ID or try to vote in his place. Uh, but, you know, we need activists in each state. Those of you that stood by us and I still have my tea party going. And I've got my meeting coming up in a couple of weeks. We're still going strong since 2009. But those of you that stood by with us and watched with us from going 2009 forward, those that were the 912 Project or any other conservative group that stood for the same principles of the freedom of this United States, step forward. Find out where a local activist is holding. And look, but the teeth in backwards. I'm getting excited. An election integrity seminar. Uh, there's a lot of groups out there, and it's, they're not hard to find. You go onto Facebook, and you'll probably find tons of groups in your area. Get involved and find out what you have to do. Um, I bring them into my Tea Party meeting and saying, hey, listen, folks, this is what you can do locally. You know, a volunteer to be a poll watcher, a volunteer to work the polls. Uh, a lot of states, you get paid for sitting, sitting there taking people's ID, checking them off the list, and handing them the little thing to go and vote with. Uh, you get paid to do that. And all you're doing is just sitting on your butt for a day or two, whatever your election cycle is by your state. But also be a poll watcher. I mean, you can get the training for it and go out there and see who's coming in to make sure the law is adhered to. There's no signs posted within a certain distance that people present their ID, that they match their ID. You know, you watch and you see these things, 
And then if you see something off, that's when you report and get it corrected there on the spot. You have a voice, not in just your ability to vote. You have a voice to participate as a poll worker, poll watcher. But even more importantly, take that voice of yours and put it out into the media. Put it out there in social networks and put it out there with your elected official. Don't be afraid to pick up the phone, drop a letter, send an email, and they keep track of these things. When we had the protests uh, prior to the impeachment vote, we were out there in front of Joe Bierke and Cunningham's office. We had signs. We had marches. We were peaceful. There was a counter-protest that was one-third the size of ours across the street, but we took it further. One by one, with respect, we left the signs outside his office door. We walked in, and we registered our name, saying we want to talk. We want to put it on record. This is – we are one of the constituents here in this district. We disagree with his vote for the impeachment. We want him to vote no, vote against the impeachment. We walked in there very peacefully, very respectfully. We chatted with the staff there. We had a great conversation, and then we left. No harm, no foul, but they had it on record that we were present in the office and were concerned enough to voice our opinion. You can do it. You can do it. We're down to our last few minutes here. Uh, there's one more caller that I'm going to take that just popped up in the studio and bring the individual on. You're here live with Southern Sense. This is the hostess, Annie, the radio chickadee. Who am I speaking to? Yes, my name is Matthew E. O'Neill, O-apostrophe N-E-I-L. I'm the number one ranked editor for Everpedia.org. We, we rival Wikipedia, except we have video capabilities for our site. Uh, the reason for the call is I'm also a registered Republican for the last eight years, and I voted for Donald Trump twice and Mitt Romney. And I'd like to say okay. that I think the Republican, the Republican Party is much more cohesive and better set up than the, than the Democratic Party. I support President Biden. I think that he's okay, but I, just, I don't think it was a great idea to take the troops out of Afghanistan like that because it's going to be bad for global security. I agree with you, and I thank you for the call. We're down to our last few minutes on the show. And I want to thank everyone that showed up uh, here in the chat room here on Blog Talk Radio, and there were people participating over on Facebook and YouTube in those chats over there also. So I'm waving hi to all of you, and especially Sweet Sue who showed up. (laughs) We love you, Sweet Sue. And, yes, Doc, I saw you in both places. Uh, Anyway, uh, we will be back here next Friday. And... um, I'll be damned if I remember who I got next Friday. But it's already up. It's already up uh, if you go to our show page. I started putting the guests in already. So if you want to see who we have for next week and the following week already, just look under where it says TBA to be announced. Uh, I haven't figured out who the rest of the lineup is. But again, it's, the show has gone so, so fast. Um, I, it's, it's, it's funny. It is funny. It always goes so fast. Uh, I'm just putting a little message here into the, onto Blog Talk. <laughs> we know who the caller was. <laughs> it was a troll. <laughs> but you know, Curtis, like I always say, unless you get the troll calls, then you know you're not doing it right. When they attack you, then you know you're doing it right. <laughs> and yeah, I, I mean, my New Year's resolution I made this years ago, and I keep it true. I must piss off one liberal a day. <laughs> I have to have yeah, one I mean, liberal a day. He said, he, 
He said he voted for Trump but supports Biden. I'm like, what was no, that no, all the, about? The, the second he said that, because last <laughs> last call that we had, um, <clears throat> oh Jesus, uh, oh we had the lieutenant colonel on, uh, and that's when the guy started you know, using foul language. He said it good at the very beginning. Of course, they know how to rope you in, and then they try to hit you with the the crap. Uh, but not this time, not today. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah, about, I, I see you cut him short. Oh man. Oh yeah, yeah. I was a little quicker. Uh, what is it? How's it go? Get off my phone, you dummy. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's what I should say. Anyway, uh, but that's what we got for today, and uh, we'll be back here next week. So I guess I'll just leave everyone with our normal closing song. Uh, if I pull it up, I was a little slow in the uptake and not pulling it up today. Uh, here we go. Uh, by my friend Gary Pecorella. Love you, Gary. And one of these days we will get you to come on the show. You're not that shy. Anyway, the song Save America. And if anything, this song is so, so true for today uh, because what is happening with this administration, only we the people can turn it around and it's time we the people the sleeping giant wake up smell the coffee and put your combat boots on because we got to go and take this nation back make it the nation our founding fathers intended us to have until then i say good night god bless and make sure you go to my website southern sense put a dash in the middle click on patriot foods and stock up because the shelves are going to become empty again in the grocery store it's really affordable, and they got a couple of sales going on. So check out uh, Patriot Foods and subscribe to the Epic Times. You can get it online. I get mine delivered to home. At least I can do the Sudoku. <laughs> I can't do the Sudoku online. <laughs> anyway, until then, this is Gary Pecorella, Save America. Good night, and God bless, and be safe over the holiday weekend. I'm free for this land I've America, America, the home of the free. But there are people making plans to change America. They've no respect for her or what matters most to me. That's why I stand. And I need a for the friends I have loved and lost. And as we be God, we trust in the freedom I fall for these friends. I hope it's not too late to save America.
Headlines, breaking news, it's another hurricane. Oh no, wait a minute, it's an earthquake. Oh no, it's another riot going on. Oh, the world is falling apart. Every day, another shocking headline makes you wonder, what will tomorrow bring? That's why those who know what's coming are using today to prepare. I'm talking about getting your family some high-quality emergency food from My Patriot Supply. My Patriot Supply is the nation's leading preparedness company. They've been in business going on 14 years now, and they served millions of American families. Now, they want to help you by giving you $50 off their popular four-week emergency food kit. You'll get four weeks of food per person, with meals designed to give you more than 2,000 calories a day. Oh, by the way, this food stays fresh for up to 25 years in proper storage, so it will be there when you need it. Other food goes bad fast, so don't wait. Go to preparewithsouthernsense.com and claim your four-week emergency food kit. You'll save 50 cents per, 50 cents, no, not 50 cents, $50 per kit if you act now. Now, you can go to preparewithsouthernsense.com, or if you're listening to the show on my website, just go to the top left-hand corner, click on prepare. Go to southern-middle-southern-sense.com. Don't wait. Do it today. 